in the online podcasting world. Cancel TV shows are curated by two equally awesome co-hosts, William Bibiani and Whitney Seibold. These are their stories. The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Everybody and welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I am a film critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. And I am Detective Whitney Seibold. I'm the uh, slightly sarcastic one. And I know nothing about your backstory after 20 seasons. <laughs> oh, well, I don't care about backstory. Who does? It's Although, all about ripping from the headlines Cor- and putting Corey, those rips on TV. In one episode, Corey Stoll did say that he opened for The Offspring once. There you go. Which is a little bit of L.A. authenticity. A lot of authenticity. And we're going to be talking about L.A. authenticity a lot this episode, dear listeners. That's right, because mm. this week on Cancel Too Soon, it's another one of our audience-curated episodes. If you're a subscriber on Patreon, patreon.com slash cancel too soon, you get to help pick an episode of that podcast every single month, but for the month of January, we're letting our Patreon subscribers pick every single series. This week, you had a choice of a lot of episodes, a lot of shows about law and or order. Mm-hmm. Or uh, and, and what should you choose? But <laughs> law and order, Los Angeles, California. When you commit a crime in L.A., just remember. Do it with style. You do have to testify. I'll lie. I'll say whatever I have to to make you guys look like idiots. She doesn't mean that. Yes, she does. Skeet Ulrich, Alfred Molina, and Terrence Howard. You stabbed her 14 times. Somebody had to pay. They don't call it the Wild West for nothing. Law and Order Los Angeles, Wednesdays 10, 9 central on NBC. I like to think of Law and Order as law and or dirt. <laughs> um, uh, okay. I don't know. I just like, was I, that a question? I keep almost saying law and or der. Uh, okay. As if there's a high, as there's a there's mm. a there's a backslash between and and or. Uh, law and Order is ironically, it's a show that oh, seems mm. like it will probably never be canceled in its entirety. It yeah. was on for about twenty seasons. Is a on well, the, the original show is on for twenty That's seasons. What I'm saying. Yeah. The original series created by Dick Wolf. Dick mm. Wolf, uh, who also created Man. And Machine. <laughs> and also, the in the year that Law & Order came out, 1990, he also did a couple of Cancel Too Soon shows called Nasty Boys, which is about a bunch of cops in Las Vegas, and H-E-L-P, which is about uh, uh, a bunch of, I think, cops and medics and firefighters working together in the same office in New York, and Wesley Snipes starred in that. So hey. we're going to have to track those down. 
but in 19- but, but he did have his big hit with Law and Order, yeah. which is now Mushroom. If you count like spinoffs and other shows that are like technically within the same universe, I think there are about twenty Law and Order series. Yeah, you could probably spend your entire wa- life watching nothing but Law and Order mm-hmm. and reach a ripe old age. Yeah. Uh, the idea of Law and Order, and I haven't watched a lot of Law and Order, so I mm-hmm. had to have like my wife come in and explain it to me, and because okay. uh, uh, I'd seen bits of it. I've seen more Law and Order in waiting rooms at various lobbies <laughs> than I have actually like at home. But the well, basic premise is uh, there are two basic branches of the legal system. There are cops mm. and there are lawyers. The first half of Law & Order episode, more or less, is about cops investigating a crime and arresting a suspect. The second half is about the lawyers prosecuting that suspect. Yeah. And most episodes involve some sort of case or news story that happened relatively recently and then they slightly fictionalized it so that they could create something very topical. That fictionalization of topical things wasn't sort of the ammo from the start. That was just something they eventually adopted. But yeah, whenever there was some sort of salacious crime in the news, uh, Law & Order was really quick to make some sort of fictionalized version of it. Like some... um, And, you know, if it was... And all of the, the Law and Order shows this. If it was a murder, it was on Law and Order. If it was a sexual assault, it was on SVU. Um, the criminal intent was sort of its own thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, they uh, they also featured like uh, later on some celebrity guests in the lead mm-hmm. roles. But the the actual cops and the actual lawyers uh, rotated through pretty quickly on all of the shows. Yeah. With the exception of, of Special Victims Unit, where uh, they had the two cops for the most part for throughout most of its run. I think Olivia Benson is still on the show. Well, and I think Jerry Orbach was on the show for forever. And, yeah, Jerry or- Orbach. But he wasn't one of the originals. Fair enough. He was one of the ones who was rotated in. The idea of Law & Order Same is with that Sam Waterston. He wasn't one of the originals either. Law & Order is such an episodic show. There really mm. aren't any ongoing subplots to speak of for the most part. Mm. Um that you can kind of pinch hit a lot of the main actors and the show will survive. It's mm-hmm. not like, oh, Patrick Dempsey left Grey's Anatomy. Is Grey's Anatomy still going to keep going? Well, yes, but there was a moment when they weren't sure mm. because that was a p- big part of the appeal. Law & Order is about pr- crime of the week, topicality, mm. procedural well, crime my, solving, uh, and you can kind of, if, a, if an actor wants to leave and do something else, you can just put another cop in their place and mm. hopefully they'll have enough personality to make the episode interesting. Or in, in the case of Law & Order Los Angeles, just put the lawyer in the cop's place. Oh my god. <laughs> it's, it's a stupid twist. The we'll get stupidest, to it. One of the stupidest um, twists we've ever run into. But uh, the main character of every single Law & Order series is the criminal justice system itself. Mm. And uh, how this system is set up to essentially uh, wheedle out lies and crime and trying to um, make sure that there's some order in this chaotic universe. Yeah. And, and I think that's why so many people go to Law & Order as comfort food. Yeah. It it starts with a horrible violent crime. And I think people, you know, that are attracted to sort of the more salacious elements. But more than anything, people go in because we get to see the criminal justice system at work and work, for the most part, pretty well. Yeah. We get to see people who are devoted to the criminal justice system, who are good cops, who believe in what they do. Sometimes they encounter a case that kind of erodes them a little bit, and often they'll just leave the show because it's gotten too much for them. But we do get to see that the system is in place and that it will serve the people the way it was intended to. And I think it's an incredibly optimistic show as a result. I think it's very reassuring. Reassuring, sure. Yeah, and I I can appreciate that. It is very distinct Mm. in a lot of the procedural or even just mystery of the week kind of detective shows. Because most shows like that are driven... 
ironically by character, mm. but not by character development. So you look at something like uh, Murder She Wrote or House Girl, or any, Diagnosis Murder or hell yeah. even Batman. You know the idea is that these are very strong, interesting characters mm. who who do have, a job well, who do a job well, and they have an mo. Like mm. Columbo has a way that he solves crimes. He has a way that he looks at the world. If that if the if that outlook changes, the show doesn't exist anymore. Mm. It's one of the reasons why I think a lot of people were upset when like Batman retired in mm. The Dark Knight Rises is because Batman has been in a state of arrested development. And the idea was, put that character in any situation, the situation is interesting. Mm. Law and Order completely defies that by having a bunch of characters who, you watch the series over time and you realize that you know the actors have just enough room that they can sort of make each individual figure distinctive. Yeah. How, they, how they talk, how they enter a room, how they approach specific cases. But that's more subtlety. You can literally just watch any episode. And you'll have all the information that you need to yeah. watch that episode. The, the, it's really not terribly important who the characters are. What's important the, the, is that the system is functioning. If if you have a character you like, they're kind of like an anchor. Jerry Orbach and Sam Waterston were like the two tent poles of this franchise for the longest time. Yeah. Jerry Orbach is the cop and Sam Waterston is, is the, the ADA. And... When they assistant ro- district attorney. Assistant district attorney. And uh, when they rotated out, a lot of people stopped watching the show. But you go back to the show, it's just as good. Yeah, it's, it's the just, same fucking show. And, and indeed, the character types that Dick Wolf likes, you can really eyeball. Like, there's always some, like, older, slightly older male assistant district attorney, and he has, like, a young female hotshot sidekick. Mm-hmm. Like, that have, that have, dynamic is... We have two is, of those on Law & Order well, <laughs> Los I'm, Angeles. Just you look at any of the Law & Order shows. Is, on one season, we get two of yeah, those true. in Law & Order Los they, they actually did this big uh, cast shift Huge half, cast halfway shift. through the first season, yeah. and I'm willing to forgive it because it's Law and & Order and it can get away with that. Because Law & Order has, at, has had at this point, I think maybe 30 seasons, 35 seasons of total in toto. Uh, of TV behind it before Law & Order Los Angeles had even premiered. But I think it's interesting to look at, like, how quickly they had to do that, because Law & Order Los Angeles Mm. is one of... There were a couple other failed Law & Order spinoffs, and eventually we'll get to Law & Order Trial by Jury, and... Mm. and, But for the most part, they were all very successful shows. When Law & Order Los Angeles came along, it was right after the end of Law & Order, Mm. the original series, which ran for two freaking decades. 20 seasons, yeah. Um, And... It, it kind of dominated the airwaves, and Law and Order Special Victims Unit and Criminal Intent still on the air, but mm-hmm. uh, Los Angeles was kind of treated as this new thing, because it was the first Law and Order to not take place in New York. At least, and, uh, there were a couple like spinoffs in, like, in, in like, Europe, but like mm-hmm. in America. Yeah, there, there's Law and Order UK, there's a French Law and Order, there are two Russian Law and Orders. Oh, really? Uh, um, to track those down. But, uh, but in America, this was the first one to take mm-hmm. place outside of New York. And one thing that you watch when you're watching Law and Order Los Angeles is them a bunch of New York writers really trying to figure out how to make their extremely New York show work in Los Angeles. Yeah, and boy, is that transition awkward sometimes. Law & Order is one of the most New York shows. Yeah. Um, like, there, there's that show NCIS, and NCIS takes place... I forgot where it takes place, but it takes place in a military town. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that there's, uh, like, military investigations. Then there's... They they try to transplant it to Los Angeles. L.A. is not a military town. L.A. is L.A. Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't work there. And a lot of the appeal of Law and Order was 
kind of the the flip casual attitude that New Yorkers took toward the the scum and the violence around them. Yeah, LA- a lot of people grew up in the, like a really horrible New York. Yeah, pre Giuliani New York was just a, a pit, and. <laughs> Or, if, so, if, we're led or to so we're led to believe by that's, movies. That's, and, that's uh, the character that that time. Whereas yeah. in Los Angeles, and you and I are both native Los Angelinos, mm-hmm. uh, we take everything personally. <laughs> like that's kind of our thing. Like oh. we're really like everyone in Los Angeles gets really emotionally invested in everything. There's a lot of talk of feelings yeah. out here, and I think and, New Yorkers don't understand that, and we don't really understand kind of the hardened shell of New Yorkers. Yeah, perhaps that's the case. But the, the problem is they had some real trouble with it, and even just the little subtle differences. There's a later episode which involves uh, the porn industry which mm. is mostly located in uh, the, the Valley, valley. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in Los Angeles. Uh, at least all the major like porn mm. studios are, are the over there. Valley. Or in yeah, West yeah. Hollywood, but like, you know. Northern Los Angeles County, mm. uh, and there's there's a case involving murder and pornography and uh, they decide oh, to... Did, run, did you write down the dialogue? I wrote, well, I didn't write down the dialogue. I, 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 there's a scene where like a porn mogul not unlike Larry Flint mm. is indicated in a crime he's he's a suspect uh, in, in a crime in, implicated implicated yeah. sorry and they decide to illustrate this by showing the cover of not the New York Post <laughs> which is one of the most sensationalist uh, newspapers that has ever existed uh, and has and is famous for having really bizarre, funny yeah, headlines, o- really over, eye-catching. Over-the-top, silly yeah, headlines. Which yeah. we do not have one of those in Los Angeles. But mm. rather than come up with something that actually makes sense in Los Angeles, they decided to make up a fictional newspaper called the Los Angeles Post. Which looks exactly like the New York Post, down yes, to does. the font. And like the front page banner is Porn King Fingered in Massacre, which is a great New York Post great, headline. Yeah, yeah. In Los Angeles, we wouldn't have that. The closest mm. we'd have is some like really Fighting like political cartoon on the cover of the LA Weekly. Yeah, that's the closest well, that we'd have. Yeah, that is the old LA Weekly, not the one we currently have. I, I don't even yeah. know if we currently have one to speak it's, of. But the old LA Weekly was, if you don't know, the Los Angeles Weekly is a uh, a free newspaper. Oh, it's, uh, it's called the LA Weekly. It's called the LA. It's Weekly. Not, not the Los Angeles uh, Weekly. Okay. <laughs> People don't think I'm talking about Louisiana. All right. <laughs> uh, the LA Weekly is it was a, is a free newspaper. You go to like coffee shops, restaurants, whatever. There's a big bin with was- this week's LA Weekly, and it's mostly local news. There's a lot mm. of uh, local arts, a lot of local, local. politics, mm. and it's for many, many years it was one of the more respectable publications in the city. And very recently, it got taken over by a mysterious cabal who fired all of their yeah, decent writers and is trying to like crowdsource a bunch of stuff so people will write for them for free. And basically, and it's, it's a rag. Now. It's it's this yeah, it's like it's nothing but like weed advertisements and. Presumably right wing propaganda because they tracked down who these guys were and they're all like part of these weird right wing think group. They ruined the LA Weekly. They you essentially and, ripped it away from us. You and I anyway, both fantasized about writing for the LA Weekly. I applied several times <laughs> to write for the LA Weekly. That's how venerable this was. Yeah. Like, people dreamed of writing for it. And now, mm. not, now I, I'm not even going to touch that bastard. Anyway, the Los Angeles Post is not a paper. <laughs> And the New York writers of Law and Order Los Angeles have no idea how to handle certain kinds of things. Yeah, and, so um, we'll talk about that as this as the series goes yeah, on. Dick Wolf is uh, he wasn't born in New York, but he's a New Yorker. Um, mm. And yeah, certainly the, the, whole, the whole attitude of Law and Order is very New York centric. And you notice that like L.A. Law shows, uh, like L.A. Law, for instance, mm. or more specifically Raymond Chandler novels, uh, tend to focus on. A kind of freewheeling seediness, just like there, you look beyond the glitz and it's just grime underneath. You look at something like LA Confidential, yeah. that, that kind of was an update of that. Um, and I think 
Dick Wolf wanted to do something different than that kind of Raymond Chandler-esque mm-hmm. glitz with scum underneath, because that's a cliche now. So he's just trying to do what he does with Law & Order. At the very first, he tried something a little... Like, he tried to do a little bit things different with the structure. He tried to be a little bit more playful, and he yeah. tried to make it a little bit more... A few more barbed jabs at sort of the perception of Los Angeles mm-hmm. as a very superficial culture. Yeah. And the first episode or two in particular, there's a lot of, like... There are scenes where it's two people saying the most vapid shit you've ever heard, and then it pulls back and you realize they're shooting, like, the latest episode of The Hills or mm-hmm. whatever reality show was on at the time. that's what they think LA is yeah. like. Get it? Uh, and uh, there's a... There's a they milk the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> oh yeah, there's a lot of Red Hot Chili Peppers. In the fir- on the especially in like the first five episodes, there's just there's I think there's Chili Peppers in every episode. They're an LA band, by the way. <laughs> One of the things that like upset me most as a Los Angeles, and I think it was Truffaut who said you can't watch a movie that takes place in your hometown. Yeah, because you're too distracted. You know everything that's wrong about. Uh-huh. it. Whereas people who aren't from your hometown, they don't give a shit. <laughs> They're not going to know that my, that street is not across the street from that street, or, my, my or that they, was, they just teleported twenty miles. My favorite was uh, watching Get Shorty, mm-hmm. and the opening scenes are in my. Miami, which is Santa Monica, mm-hmm. and like I could, I've been inside the buildings they were shooting, and it's like, hey, I'm gonna go into this Miami hotel. You mean the Georgian on Main Street? Law, watching Law and Order Los mm-hmm. Angeles, or as it was later renamed Law and Order LA, mm-hmm. uh, is like watching someone who's never been to your hometown explain what your hometown is really like mm-hmm. to someone else who's never been to your hometown, <laughs> and it, you're trapped behind glass saying no. It, it would be like me as like a teenager having only known New York from like must see TV sitcoms mm. trying to explain to a fifth grader what New York is really like. <laughs> and a lot of it, just a lot of it, they just sort of like it doesn't really matter where it takes place. People just talk mm. about murder in, in business rooms, but then there'll just be these really very specific cultural problems, mm. just things that clearly they've heard of it, but they didn't do any <laughs> research. One of them, one of the more obvious ones in the pilot episode, a detective comes in, they're doing like a stakeout, and he's bragging that he's got burritos from Tito's Tacos. Okay, first of all, Tito's Tacos, it's close to us. We could actually like bike there. Yeah. Uh, it's it's, it's like a mile and a half it's away. It's a mile and a half away from where we're recording right now. And they have cheap tacos, and there's always a line because they're great. It's a cultural institution. Mm. It's a little less famous than Pink's Hot Dogs, which I think has more of an international reputation. I think mm. a lot of people have heard of Pink's Hot Dogs. Tito's Tacos has been around for as long as I can remember. Uh, they sell cheap tacos. They're open late. Uh, mm. And they're great stoner food. And they have a great <laughs> local commercial with a wonderful jingle. The only thing better than a Tito's Taco is to... I like Tito's Tacos. How about you? Yeah. So you see that jingle and you have to go to Tito's. It's cheap. It's good. Here's the thing. Nobody gets anything other than the tacos. They have well, as, other stuff. As, as a vegetarian, I do. Okay, but here's I get the, the burritos. Nobody goes to Tito's Tacos... Uh. Get something other than the tacos and brags about it. Hey, I went to Tito's and I got burritos. Yeah, that's like saying, hey, I went to Pink's Hot Dog. All I got was the fries. Yeah. Why did you fucking go to... What's weird about <laughs> Tito's Tacos as a cultural institution <laughs> is that there is another... Uh, there's another Mexican restaurant mm. literally next door to Tito's Tacos. It's called Cinco de Mayo. And it is a better Mexican <laughs> it's restaurant. <laughs> it's also cheap, and everything they have is good. Mm. Tito's Tacos has more of a reputation, but the reason why another Mexican restaurant is able to survive next to Tito's Tacos is because everything but the tacos at Tito's isn't very good, and even the tacos aren't that great. <laughs> it's just this but weird they're, institution. They're, they're quick, they're cheap, you can get 50 for a buck. It's fantastic. My, my point is this. Uh. They heard of Tito's, and they didn't actually ask anyone who had been there what it was like. Uh, 
Another conceit of Law & Order LA is every single episode is named after a neighborhood in Los Angeles. And yes, indeed, of which when, there are many. When they, when they sort of rejiggered it halfway through... The opening uh, scrawl was like this big glory shot of Los Angeles, and the names of the neighborhoods like floated up out of the ground, and like letters and the, on the, the neighborhoods letters form. all formed together to form the title. Yeah, cute. So they're really trying to. You can see this is like New Yorkers trying to say, well, we have like Queen, we have the five boroughs. Maybe this is like the five hundred boroughs. Yeah, they're trying to think of it in in sort of New York terms. So they're trying to see like what the individual neighborhoods are kind of like, and you know what. Each individual neighborhood in L.A. does have a slightly different flavor. Oh, it absolutely does. But if you're going to go to the trouble of knowing what all the neighborhoods are and do and study the geography and set the show in Los Angeles, yeah. why are you not going to set the entire crime within the neighborhood in question and try to capture the flavor of that neighborhood? It's weird. They'll have an episode. See, there, that, like, there's a that great is, opportunity here to really explore the real Los Angeles. They have, there's an episode that's, that's, that's Pasadena, which is actually my hometown. It's where I grew up, born and raised. And the the crime takes place in downtown Los Angeles, uh-huh. and then it turns out like one of the suspects lives in L in, in Pasadena, but mostly has nothing to do with it. And I'm like, Pasadena is a very fascinating community. It's got a whole <laughs> bunch of extremely rich people uh-huh. and a whole bunch of extremely poor people, kind of just dumped on top of each other, mm-hmm. and it creates a lot of conflict. It's a really interesting place to set a crime story, and they didn't do that. They set it in downtown. That's another one that I'm like, wait a minute. This the person who gets killed at their or assaulted, they get like run over with a car. Yeah. Uh at the beginning of the Pasadena episode. They're hit by a car in an alley. A homeless person is the only witness to the crime. One of the detectives takes the guy's statement, and then he goes to another cop and said, "Hey, take this guy down the street to Tommy's and get him a burger." And I'm like, like "There's, there's no, no Tommy's fucking downtown. Tommy's downtown. Tommy's is another local establishment. <laughs> Actually, Tommy's is two local establishments because there's a Tommy's." Which is a really great chili burger place. And then there's Big Tommy's, T O M Y, which is a very small chain of late night burger joints, which is actually, I would argue, even better than Tommy's, although that's sacrilege. No, Big Tommy Burger is is my true love. Uh, There's also like Tom's Number Five. Oh, yeah, I forgot Tom's Number Five. There's T H O M A apostrophe S, so Thomas. There's a lot of variations on Tom and Thomas in this city. Yeah. Um, So when Whitney and I are watching this, we're really watching it with a fine-tooth comb. <laughs> we're, it's we're, really we're, distracting. We're nitpicking like crazy. So we apologize to all of our listeners who are not from L.A. It's going to be a real inside <laughs> baseball kind of episode. Let's, let's run down some basic stats. Right. Uh, Law & Order Los Angeles aired on NBC from September 29th, 2010 mm. through July 11th, 2011. This is actually one of the longer seasons that we've done. It's a full 22 yeah. episodes. Right. Uh, but there was a huge break in the middle there while they restructured the entire series, and we'll talk about what happened soon. Uh, although the series was created by Dick Wolf, this particular version of it was developed by Blake Masters. Blake Masters wrote the movie Two Guns with uh, Denzel Washington and Mark Wahlberg. Uh-huh. Uh, he was a writer on the Cancel Too Soon series Rubicon, which we reviewed last year. Mm-hmm. Um, was it last year? Or the year About a year ago. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, he also uh, did the TV shows Brotherhood and the I think it's currently on the air right now, a show in USA called Falling Water. Uh-huh. Uh, so a bit of a, a long career here. Now, the cast is a bit large because what they did, and it's a clever idea, Mm. Uh, the cops are always the same. The district attorneys who try the cases would switch yeah, for about half two, the series. Two, two teams of, of lawyers. And what I think what they were doing was they got two really big name attorneys, uh, big name actors to play the attorneys, 
And rather than get them to commit to an entire season, they would get each of them to commit to half a season. And then they could So they could always have that star power. Yeah. So we'll start with the attorneys. Uh, the main district attorney for a lot of it is... Uh, what was Alpha his Molina. Name? Well, actually, well, I was going to start with the other one, but uh, let's start with... Terrence that. Howard. Yeah, uh... Yeah, Terrence Howard mm-hmm. uh, plays Jonah Decker. You know Terrence Howard from Hustle and Flow, mm-hmm. uh, Empire. He was on another lawyer sitcom called Sparks. Uh, <laughs> not a good, yeah, and you know what? Not a good choice for Law and Order, Terrence Howard. You think? I think he's a very good actor. I like him a lot. I like him a lot too. I think he has too natural and laid back uh, uh, performance style to get to sort of the the terse wordiness of something like Law and See, Order. No, but here's the thing: I thought that was actually a really good approach for Los Angeles because he gets really mm. emotionally invested in everything. Yeah, he does. He's not all about the 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 rigmarole. He's not all about the wording of the law. He's getting really emotionally invested in a lot of this. And to his credit, so does Alfred Molina, who plays the other main uh, assistant district. Attorney. Attorney uh, Ricardo Morales. Uh, you know Alfred Molina from Raiders of the Lost Ark, Spider Man well, Two, everything, everything. Frida. Uh, he was on a Cancel Too Soon wrestling sitcom called The Losers, <laughs> which I really want to check out. He was a wrestler. Uh, this is like in the late seventies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and film The Imposters. I like that movie. Oh yeah, it's a great movie. And uh, also, he was on uh, Law and Order as a recurring character di- before this, a different a character. Different character. Uh, Ga- uh, Gabriel Duval. He was on a character on SVU mm-hmm. and Trial by Jury. So those are the main lawyers. Uh, they have a bunch of assistants. Assistant district, uh, district attorneys, mm. uh, all played by younger women. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, that, that's that's the Law and Order model. That's, right. that's what they chose. That's uh, what we, they're going with. We've got uh, Evelyn Price played by Regina Hall, who actually mm. isn't in that many episodes before they switched everything up, and she doesn't get which, enough. Which to is do. a pity because I love Regina Hall. She's great. You know, from <laughs> Girls Trip, About Last Night, mm-hmm. uh, Think Like a Man, Ally McBeal. Uh, she was in a Cancel Too Soon series called Grandfathered. Uh, we've got uh, uh, District Attorney Lauren Stanton, played by Megan Boone, who right after this would go on to star in The Blacklist. So she had a big okay. boost. You and, might and also I, remember her like as her... the stuffy sister from Step Up Revolution. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> I like her a lot. I like her character on the show. Mm, she, uh, mostly. Because she seems like kind of annoyed by everything. <laughs> There's one episode she's in where her whole attitude I find very troubling, but we'll talk right. about it. It's like the low point of the whole series. <laughs> uh, and then after the big cast shakeup, mm. uh, they replaced uh, Regina Hall and Megan Boone with Alana DeGarza, uh uh, from CSI Miami, Criminal Minds Beyond Borders, uh, but also from Law and Order. Like after Law and Order ended, they just took her character and she moved to LA. Fine, so they fine. just little, little bit of continuity, connective material. Okay, on the cop side of things, uh, we start out with. Detective mm. Rex Winters, played ah. by oh, Rex Winters. I love that name. His Jericho Kane was taken. Well, I, they got the star of Jericho. They got Skeet Ulrich. <laughs> Skeet Ulrich from Scream, The Craft. He's on Riverdale right now. He's in a Cancel Too Soon series I really want to review on this show called Miracles, which was when he would play <laughs> a priest investigating what may or may not be real miracles for like the Catholic Church. Mm. But there's like that's a big conspiracy show, yeah. about whether God really exists, and that's a cool idea. <laughs> um, Rex Winters actually debuted as a character on Law & Order Special Victims Unit like the episode like SVU was on and then Law and Order Los Angeles was on right afterwards yeah on September 29th I did not realize this until just about we were just about to record oh, or I would have watched that episode yeah. so, so we, technically we, it was like a backdoor pilot we didn't see the backdoor pi- episode of, yeah. of SVU uh, his partner is Thomas T.J. Jaruzalski 
played by Corey Stoll from mm. Ant-Man and House of Cards and The Strain. And I'm going to say right now, Corey Stoll, MVP of the franchise. <laughs> Maybe not the franchise, the whole of, series. Of this, this series. This, this particular show. Corey Stoll. Because he, he's the funny cop. He's the funny cop, mm. and he's really legitimately funny. Yeah. Like, he's, yeah. he's am- totally the, amused by everything that happens in front of him, and he really makes you, boring exposition fun. And you pointed this out. There's a great scene, I think it's in the second or third episode, with a grapefruit. Yeah. Where um, the, the cops have met this like rich older woman at her Hollywood mansion, and she's she has a, a a skimmer, and she's trying to get a grapefruit out of her pool. She says, "Ah, they fall off the trees and roll in the pool," mm-hmm. and uh, she can't quite reach it. And they're kind of in Law and Order. Whenever the cops are interrogating something, there's always someone. There's always some business. Yeah, they're always in, in the middle of doing mm-hmm. something. They never stop what they're doing to talk to the cops. They're always in the middle of arranging flowers at their flower shop, yeah, like- unpacking crates. There's a lot of crate unpacking in, yeah. in Law and Order. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's the that's the deal. Is it takes a really boring conversation and just adds a little visual spice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it raises a lot of questions. John Mulaney has a great bit about Law and Order. If you ever if you listen to his stand up mm-hmm. about the things that you notice in Law and Order that are just ridiculous, and one of them is you're being de- questioned by homicide detectives, and you don't, and you don't stop think that's doing your business. You don't think yeah. that's interesting enough to maybe put down a crate <laughs> and like give them your full attention? Like, again, that's absurd. That's another New York conceit. New York is a city that never sleeps. People just got to keep on working. It's like, hey, we're investigating a crime. Whatever. I got these apples to unload. You just ask me what you got, and he just keeps yeah. on unloading Los apples. Angelinos would stop and talk to you. They'd stop. Like, they'd, they'd be very interested. Hey, you want you want some uh, Grey Goose? I just got some Grey Goose vodka. We can have some. Oh, wait, you're cops. Yeah, that's maybe not so. How about some tea? You know, yeah. like, there'd be something else going on rather than... Anyway. The usual business. Anyway, but this old lady's the business piece of is... business <laughs> is that she's trying to get a grapefruit out of her swimming pool. Okay, <laughs> and when she can't reach it, she's talking to Skeet Ulrich, and Skeet Ulrich is, is questioning her, and Corey Stoll's just sort of standing there, you know, kind of the the good cop standing behind her, and she just sort of turns around and I, I think just says, "Could you?" and hands him the skimmer, and and she doesn't look at him, and he just sort of takes the skimmer and looks at it. And then he slinks off like a, a dejected toddler. Skim your blogger. Yeah, just drops the skimmer in the pool, drags it behind him. <laughs> like he was just asked to sweep the porch and he can't be bothered to lift the broom because he wants you to know how annoyed he is. You can't go to the pizza planet until you sweep the porch and then sweep the porch. Damn. Corey Stoll is one of those actors. Out of a pool. I'm amazed Corey Stoll isn't a bigger star than he is. He <laughs> always brings something great. Even in Ant Man, where he plays like a nothing villain, mm. just a boring ass villain. <laughs> He's so great in it. I don't even care. He's a really, really fun actor. Um, okay, so we got Corey Stoll, and then finally, uh, their lieutenant is played by uh, Dr. Uh, Lieutenant Arlene Gonzalez. Mm. Is played by the great and I think underappreciated Rachel Tikatin. Yeah, from you know her from Total Recall, or uh, uh, she was on. She was actually. Uh, the voice of the police captain on Gargoyles. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Um, I did not know that. She was uh, She was on... This wasn't a Cancel Too Soon series, but it was only lasted two seasons. I always wanted to see it. Mm. There was a cop show in the 80s called O'Hara. Mm. Do you remember O'Hara? Vaguely. It starred Pat Morita as, like, Detective O'Hara. Oh, yeah. yeah it was yeah, his star vehicle now. after, yeah. like, he got, like, an Oscar nomination for Karate Kid. Like, this mm. was his pet project. It was, like, two mm. seasons of Pat Morita as this, like, Japanese mysticism cop named O'Hara. <laughs> and I always wanted to see it, and, and just never got around to it, and unfortunately it lasted two seasons. Pat Morita once said so he, he wouldn't take a role unless he got to do a silly voice. Yeah. So you'll notice that he does like he showed up in the Naked Gun three yeah. at one point and he's a waiter. He just has one scene. <laughs> he has like one line. And it's like and I for some reason he put on like this really kind of like 
really fluttery kind of accent. Right. It's kind of like really, well, I'm a Pisces and I do love to dance. Like, you're Pat Marino. Why are you talking like that? <laughs> it's just hilarious. It's great. All right. So let's talk about this. Um, now, a lot of the episodes are kind of the same episode over and over again. So we're kind of just going to burn through them and talk can, about what's notable. Yeah. Uh, the first episode uh, is, is Hollywood. And it was inspired by the Bling Ring robberies. Yes, uh, which has already inspired two movies, including mm-hmm. there was a Lifetime original movie called The Bling Ring and mm-hmm. a more well-publicized Sofia Coppola film called The Bling Ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and The Bling Ring was, if you're not familiar with the with the story, was a group of people who snuck into celebrities' homes because they were able to see on social media um, and the news... When they, where they were going. Yeah, oh, oh, we're out of the Viper room right now. Well, clearly they're not home. Let's break into their home and steal their shit. Mm-hmm. And, it's and, a clever idea for a crime, you know, I got to admit. Like, it's a, it's a sort of well, thing that can only happen now. It, it can only happen now, and it, it's really a great comment on celebrity culture, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, so, uh, we, so got, yeah, we, uh, a, we got the bling ring. People are breaking into houses, mm. and someone gets killed. Mm. Uh, one of the, one of the uh, uh, criminals gets killed. Uh, they're killed by the mother of a famous star who may have been involved with the crimes because a lot of the crimes were committed when she was out with famous celebrities. Mm. The young starlet is played by Danielle Panabaker, who you may know from The Flash. Her mother is played by Shawnee Smith. I who, love Shawnee Smith. Great actor. She's probably best known nowadays for the Saw movies, mm. but she's been in everything. Um, I had such a crush on her in Who's Harry Crumb. Who's Harry Crumb was a great movie. <laughs> I love Who's Harry Crumb. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, so that's that's the plot of the episode. It turns out her mother is actually behind it, mm-hmm. but her mother is desperately trying to make sure that her daughter doesn't find out because I guess possibly because she loves her daughter. And in fact, what it boils down to is there's this huge speech on the witness stand and she's got to confess to everything. But rather than let someone come up on the stand and discredit her and show her daughter what a horrible person she is, she just admits to everything and just makes sure that her daughter can keep this lie going mm-hmm. that her mom might have been a decent person who was railroaded by the cops. That's actually pretty good drama. Well, actually, and, I was actually really feeling something by the end of this it's, episode. It's pretty good drama, and it does indeed speak to sort of keeping up a good face in a town like Los Angeles, yeah. you know, keeping up appearances. And so, in that regard, it was at least kind of accurately, or at least trying to kind of accurately depict what, uh, like, an L.A. ethos might be, an L.A., an actual L.A. crime right. might be. Uh, the second episode... Echo Park. Echo Park, uh-huh. uh, which I think the crime actually is committed in Santa Monica. Yeah. Uh, but I digress. Uh, it is a woman is killed on the beach, and it turns out the woman was part of, not the Manson family cult. A, a similar cult. A, a We can't do the Manson family, because we have to put at the end that this isn't based on a true story, so we can mm. get away with fudging everything. Uh, but it's like the Manson family. Mm. There was a guy who looks and acts exactly like Charles Manson. He had a bunch of cultists just like Charles Manson. One of the and, cultists is out there dying of cancer. Yeah, she, she's been in jail for a long time. Mm. She was able to get a parole because she's dying of cancer and then she is brutally murdered Mm -hmm. uh, much like one of the victims of their crimes and then it turns out after a bit of investigation that the person who killed her was actually a cellmate of hers who this woman made her cellmate's life a living hell Uh, and when she found out that this person who made her life a living hell was out after being part of the Manson family murders more or less she feared for her safety she couldn't handle it anymore and she decided to kill her partially as Defense partly is for revenge. Mm-hmm. And there's a big hullabaloo, a big talk about um, is it self-defense if there wasn't any immediate danger, if there was a lifetime's worth of abuse. But also, well, yeah, they have the, to the, deal with the possibility that the suspect in this new murder 
may not have been logged in jail in the first place, and that Skeet Ulrich's wife, played by Brimstone's Terry Polo... <laughs> so, Terry Polo, two weeks in a row, folks. Yay! Uh, she may have been partly responsible for getting a false testimony. Yeah. I hate when Law and Order does this. Mm. When the backstories or the actual, like... The Rachel Tocotin, uh subplot, I actually didn't mind. But when they try There's to get a later the, episode later, it's really later, good, but, actually. But uh, when, when they actually try to get the cops or the lawyers themselves, their backstories, their families involved in the central drama, it it's death for Law and Order. Well, and it doesn't help that it's a second episode and we don't know anything. Like, you don't know even anything that we'd normally know about these yeah. people. So you can so, tell that this is a, an attempted statement of purpose mm-hmm. that they end up going back on yeah but uh to get more involved in tr- they're trying to make the cops a little bit more involved in the actual drama of the show so one thing we have at the beginning of this episode is we actually have a scene of skeet ulrich and Corey stoll hanging out at skeet ulrich's house and terry polo is there mm. we don't know anything about her we rarely apart from svu we rarely saw the cops like at yeah. home and then uh we have so we have that scene Mm. And then later on, uh, the woman who's saying, like, yeah, I killed her, but I shouldn't have been in jail in the first place. And in fact, and she just points to a picture of Terry Polo and Ski Ulrich's desk. Mm. She's the one who framed me. <laughs> and I'm like, just some random person? You just saw a picture, and it turns out she was an ex-cop who retired to take care of their kids. And I'm like, I don't know any of this information. This subplot isn't working because we know so little about well, them. If, if you're going to do this, have a pilot where you set all that crap up. Yeah. So we know like that Terry, like, he's married to a cop who was retired to take care you of You could children. really have played with that. You could actually have the fact that he is married to a former cop maybe inform his investigation a bit. Mm-hmm. Like, he probably talks to her about cases and things. You could have done something with that. They don't want to do that, so why do it? Mm-hmm. Why, why do it in this one episode? And, of course, they managed to find a way to just completely not have to deal with whether or not she was corrupt. She was about to go on the witness stand. Mm-hmm. Something happened. She didn't have to. The end. Yeah, and and because of the nature of Law and Order, this isn't something we're going to explore much in later episodes. There's not going to be a yep. big confrontational scene because it's all about the crime. Yep. So yeah, to, we, we're not going to have the argument between uh, Terry Polo and Skeet Ulrich. Episode three might be the episode that understands Los Angeles the least. It's called Harbor City, uh-huh. uh, and it starts off uh, with. Okay, it ends up being about a surfer murder, but for half the episode, it's about a series of medical marijuana dispensary heists. <laughs> now, that's a fun idea for it's a fun. TV show. Sp- well, and it's also LA-centric, because yeah. uh, in 2010, when this aired, uh, mar- medical marijuana dispensaries were opening everywhere. Uh, yeah, they've been around for a while, but they were really just they were, blowing they were up. They were booming really, up, like right yeah. at that time. Now, and medical marijuana dispensaries are l- legitimate businesses in Los Angeles, but here's the thing. To see Law & Order Los Angeles tell it, they're about as casual as a corner liquor store. You just yeah. walk in, there's weed all over the table, and someone says, I want that weed! And they just give them your credit card or something. And mm. I'm like, that's not how medical marijuana dispensaries work. There's actually like a lot of very specific mm. rules they have to follow. The marijuana cannot be on the counter. Marijuana has to be under a case. They have to mm. have security guards out at the front door. There's none in the show. So the idea that there are all of these medical marijuana dispensary heists that are dealing with basically snatch and grab sandwich well, yeah, shop it security doesn't again, make any sense. It wasn't like yeah, like guys in ski masks who had like planned out a heist. It was like a guy in a van just sort of runs in yeah. and takes stuff and murders someone. And then you have and then you have this absurd idea because the the store that the guy gets killed defending his store, mm. uh, and the guy who gets killed, he only just got a safe a month ago. Marijuana is a cash industry. <laughs> it, people pay cash. A lot mm. of marijuana they don't take 
credit cards for, for a variety of legal reasons. It's absurd that he wouldn't have a safe. Yeah, he's it's, keeping it in his mattress, I It's suppose. completely insanity. So the entire basis of the show is ridiculous. There was, however, a fun little... I wouldn't say cameo, because they weren't doing it for us. But Daniel Hugh Kelly from The 100 Lies of Blackjack Savage is uh-huh. in this episode as a judge. Yep. The 100 Lies of Blackjack Savage... <laughs> I just want to say it. It's a show we were reviewing a year ago. That's true. It was the show that we reviewed the week that Donald Trump got inaugurated as president, which was very fitting, because The 100 Lies of Blackjack Savage, for those of you who are new to our program... It's kind of our crown jewel <laughs> in our, a lot of our, ways. It's our greatest discovery. It's yeah. the coolest thing ever, and no one knows about it. It is a Walt Disney series about, basically, Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Took Donald Trump, changed his name. Everything else about him is the same. Owns hotels. Wrote a book about making deals. Looks like Donald Trump is a sexist. Hates unions. Blah, blah, blah. Mm. Donald Trump teams up with the ghost of a black pirate to solve mysteries using a sci-fi superboat. Mm. That's the show. <laughs> well, and, and he, he, was, uh, he was exiled to an island in the Caribbean. Yeah, where he makes nice with a whole bunch of fascist dictators. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a couple episodes about him, him making friends with fascist dictators if, and how they're all wacky and harmless. If, if there's a show that the Shout Factory needs to resurrect. Oh my fucking God. <laughs> Why is this not a thing? Why don't more people know about it? You know, Disney has always been very careful about burying their shame. Yes. Song of the South. <laughs> yeah. I need say no more. All right. Uh, I digress. It ends up being about surfer murders, and frankly, it's not very interesting. The next episode Oh, is- surfer murders? Great band name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so the next episode, episode four, Silmar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... The idea is there's a couple of kids who get killed in a meth lab explosion. Right. But the meth lab explosion actually leads to an investigation about terrorism. The meth, the guy who was the meth mm-hmm. head uh, might actually have been connected tangentially and there's like to car- a terrorist investigation. And there's like a, 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 some sort of conspiracy with cargo shipments at LAX. Uh, something like something that. like yeah. that. Um, Why there wasn't an episode at LAX right away, I'll never know. Mm-hmm. Maybe because it's impossible to get to LAX and they couldn't film there. Yeah. What's What's kind of cool about this episode is actually a really clever uh, mm-hmm. uh, little legal twist they do once the case gets in front of Terrence Howard mm-hmm. because there's a couple episodes where the defense attorney is some hotshot dick. Yeah. Like, just total monster, doesn't care about oh, the legal golly, system. I totally forgot his name. Um, mm. He's in everything. There's he, a bunch of those. He looks like Jim Caviezel. <laughs> he looks like the Weasley Jim Caviezel. Anyway, there's the idea of this episode is the oh, guy's going to take this opportunity. Mm. Uh, once they're able to take the case away from the feds, get it charged in Los Angeles because two children died, uh, that this guy is going to use this case to sort of try the American government for drone strikes overseas. And Terrence Howard, once he gets up you know, at the start of the case and just says, we'd like to drop all charges related to terrorism and only focus on the murder of these two children. Mm-hmm. So the entire defense strategy falls apart because anytime the guy talks about their motivation regarding Middle East politics, the judge has to say, you're literally not allowed to talk about that. <laughs> and I was like, you know what it is? It's pretty clever. Mm-hmm. This is a clever little, uh, clever little plot twist there. Well done, Terrence Howard. Terrence Howard's really, really good at grandstanding. In a he, in a courtroom case, he gives really impassioned speeches that come out of nowhere, and the judges always roll their ju- judge John Delancey, whoever they yeah. have that week, um, like roll their eyes at how dramatic he gets right away. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> do, you, do you care to cross examine witness? <laughs> These children 
had their mother taken for... Okay, calm down, counsel. <laughs> What's really interesting... Bale is set at $5,000. The cliche that I picked up on, because I watched more Law & Order in this show than I ever really have before. Okay. Certainly, certainly not in one chunk. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I love is how there's always the scene in the court case where it's so dramatically satisfying that the defense attorney forgets they can object. Like yeah. Terrence Howard is giving this huge speech and he's badgering the witness and he's going off on a rant and making philosophical statements and I'm like fucking object <laughs> you can't do this like you should, your 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 client is being forced to fucking confess like, right now to be fair that's a law show conceit that goes back as far as Perry Mason I like, know Perry- it's just funny to me because the show is trying to be so mm. I mean yeah the crimes themselves are kind of these somewhat cartoony sort of mm. versions of real crimes. But for the most part, it shows trying to be relatively realistic about the justice system. Yeah. So when they just always collapse into this well, huge cliche right at the end, it just makes me laugh every time. I, the funny, what I find, I had to sit in on jury duty once and they had to remind us that this is not going to be like law and order. Law and order really streamlines the legal process. Yeah, and they put dates on the screen, but like a case can be taken care of in like a week, mm. whereas you know certain cases can go on for years. Yeah, so uh, yeah, th- that's just sort of something they they fudge the timeline. It's just something you have to take with a grain of salt when watching yeah. Law and Order right. because it makes for better drama. Really, you don't want to see the show go on for like a whole season no. on a single case. Well, that's been done. Actually, one of my favorite courtroom shows ever, Murder One, the first mm. season was all just one big epic Hollywood case. Yeah. And it's a great show. Well, and that's what Law & Order is doing now with Law & Order True Crime. Ah, yes. That's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the next episode, we already talked a little bit about it, Pasadena. The victim in this version, in this episode, is actually played by Rebecca Mater from Lost and Once Upon a Time. She's, oh. got, a, she's got a big following. Um, and it's based off of the John Edwards scandal. A, right. a, in this case, it's a congressman uh, who had a love affair with a young restaurateur or, or Mater D. And she's about to have his child, and he's trying to hide it. And he, and we're may- not sure how how much the wife might know. And yeah. the, 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 there's such a strange conceit because she's hiding in the house, and she's pregnant. And then there's this thought that they're trying to maybe harvest the child for something, or yeah. they plan on murdering the child. But if that was the case, why was she hiding out in the mansion? Yeah, and it turns out yeah. that like this, yeah, yeah, this I, congressman's like lackey had taken it upon himself to fall on his sword, mm, ruin his marriage, and protect that, yeah, the congressman. That he was the one who had a mistress. Anyway, and it looks like the congressman's going to go to jail for it, but then it turns out he has a terminally ill wife who, in a fit of jealousy, like because she was going to, she was passing away, and the congressman was eventually going to actually marry this young woman, Mm. and then she was like, "Well, fuck that, she's going to kill her," and then, okay, bit of a twist, Mm. I, I see it coming. It's there's a couple of usually episodes end with like one quick line of dialogue, sort of wrapping everything up thematically, a little, little button. Sometimes it's harmless. Sometimes you just sort of go, what? Mm. And this one ends with Alfred Molina. I think he's talking to Megan, uh, 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 Regina Hall. Okay. Uh, I think he's talking to Regina Hall. And she's just like, well, why would he, why would anyone do this? And Alfred's like, well, men get lonelier than women. And I'm like, wait, what? What the fuck? <laughs> you just mansplain loneliness? What the fuck? What the fuck is this shit, Law and Order? What the? <laughs> well, we know what? A, a little bit more about that character now, don't Holy we? Holy shit, motherfuck. All right. Something you might notice about Law and Order, um, 
it tries to stay like it, it deals with a lot of political issues. It tries to stay kind of apolitical overall, but you'll notice that the cops tend to be really conservative and the lawyers tend to be really liberal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that's just sort of a strange underpinning that the show, I think kind of accumulated over time. I think they're trying to be as balanced as possible, mm-hmm. but the problem is that the lawyers always have the last say. Yeah. They get the big speeches. They get to prove the biggest so point. I, I don't so know what it di- always feels more conservative than anything. You mean liberal than anything? No, I think it feels more conservative than oh, anything. Yeah. I think a lot. No, I just think the lawyers. Mm. Okay, in this one, the lawyers end up feeling more conservative in their viewpoints. Okay. We'll talk about this. Um, I think it's actually the next episode. What do we got here? It's the oil rig episode. Is it? Is, yeah. is it the next one? Okay, so the, uh, the, this is the one. This is the one that pissed me off. Okay. I think this is a bad episode of television. <laughs> uh, the idea is there's an oil rig it's worker. It's actually just not well written. It's for one. also not it's, well written, uh, but I think this is irresponsible storytelling. Mm. The, the plot is an oil rig worker uh, Wash, falls. Washes up on the shore. Yeah, they, it looks like a murder. And then there's a bit of a question over whether this is the Coast Guard's jurisdiction or ours. As the body was found in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. they decide it's, it's theirs and they investigate. And what they eventually discover is that it's the worker's foreman, who is from, a female. From an offshore oil rig. Yeah, yeah. and she is uh, a woman working in a man's world. And she felt very, like, you know, oppressed, and they, like, would jump in on her while she was taking a shower, mm. and... This she, is what the, that movie North Country was about. Yeah, it was. Mm. that was uh, about, the, I think, the coal mining industry, but yeah, yeah it's yeah. basically the same setup. Uh, and she ended up killing the guy. And... Kind, kind of in self-defense, because he was, like, yeah. kind of assaulting Well, her. at least that's how, that's how it appears. Mm. And then she gets herself a hot shot lawyer who's going to play the feminism card yeah and like ah yeah because she's a man and she's a woman she's going to get away with everything and i'm not saying that because that's like a hop on thing i'm saying that because that's literally what the lawyer does that is Mm. her strategy that's what she says is that you're going to play the feminism card and get her off the hook for murder which it turns out she actually did in cold blood because she was a racist (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it turns out she murdered him because yeah. she hated him because he was Mexican. Yeah, and she was blackmailing him because he was in the country illegally. She was going to get him deported unless he, like, mm-hmm. fixed her car and was her sex slave. But you know what? Because she's a woman, there's nothing we can do, right? And I'm like, wait, there's well, a, you're really dropping the ball thematically on this Law & Order. This that's is really not, tacky. It's not the theme of the show, but they do point out that there are grandstanding lawyers. And this happens a lot in Law & Order. Yeah. Like some, they get some sort of hotshot grandstanding lawyer who does something that's kind of morally irresponsible in order to get their client off. The defense lawyers, you'll notice, are always very wicked on Law & Order because it's about the prosecutors. Typically, yes. Uh, in fact, most law sh- I think most law shows are about prosecutors, aren't they? No, uh, I, guess, I guess there are just, it's as, about half and half. just as many of them. It's about half and half. Um, but, but regardless, like what happens is at the end of the episode, after mm. they finally like, she's going to go to jail, and rightly so, uh, at least as far as every all information that we have in the episode, uh, Megan Boone gets like the final word in this, mm. and she gets this like little cute line about how like, ha, these women need to work for it. Mm. And I'm like, so you're saying there is no oppression? What are you talking about? It was sarcasm. It was sarcasm. It was was really because the problem... I thought it it read fine. No, I don't think it reads fine at all. I think it reads grossly irresponsible because like when you deal with... A lot of people don't have a lot of experience with the legal system Mm. or with a lot of the, the things that we see on shows like this. And so like this sort of attitude that is espoused can be really, really dangerous. It's really insidious because these people are seen as the voice of authority. These people are seen as a voice of moral authority. This mm-hmm. is how the system is supposed to work. And if you display that in a way that is irresponsible, I, I, I'm, I'm all for 
challenging ideas, controversial ideas, uh, as long as they're played in a somewhat responsible way. This, I just think, is espousing a really ugly attitude Hmm. about feminism as some sort of mercenary concept. And there really isn't a voice speaking reason Hmm. to the unreasonable portrayal of it within this well, and i find that irresponsible in, in in law and order when that sort of thing is brought up like i said it's always brought up by some hotshot lawyer mm-hmm. who is clearly uh not doing their like they're getting their client off but they're not doing law well and yeah. the prosecutors are frustrated by that because all they have is the truth and they have to work extra hard to make to remind people that that's the point of all of this mm-hmm. and i imagine a lot of lawyer especially prosecutors come up against that especially with big hotshot defense attorneys it's like and it turns out he was oppressed yeah but he did these horrible things we have all of this evidence can we convict this person please so mm-hmm. there there's it's this kind of battle of reason that's always coming up within the legal system that they're addressing and i think I don't like those hotshot characters. I think they're cheap, dramatic devices for the most part, but I understand why they're being done, and I think it was done just fine. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, I think it's poorly handled. But, like, they, they, they do... I've seen it in previous other Law & Order episodes as well. All right, uh, the next episode is the Grim Sleeper episode. Uh-huh. I'm not sure how well the Grim Sleeper is known outside of Los Angeles. Uh, he's probably the most notorious Los Angeles-based serial killer. He mm-hmm. uh, was a serial killer who killed a lot of uh, young women, I think mostly black women, uh, and... Then he went away for many years, just vanished, didn't catch him, mm-hmm. and then he started back up again. And this is an episode about a serial killer who went away for a long time. Turns out he was just on meds that whole time, <laughs> and then he went off his meds and resumed. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the case. Uh, the thing that they try to tack onto that, I'm not sure why, I think the Grim Sleeper is enough honestly, for an episode, but they decided to tack on this well, idea they, they, they of familial... It, they can't just do it straight. They well, have to no, do but their own I, I their don't own think you needed to add like a, this huge other subplot about this new sort of DNA investigation technique about how, okay, well, we have the killer's DNA. That DNA is not on file. But we can check to see if the killer is related to anyone whose DNA is on file. Mm. And then we can narrow it down to their biological relatives, which is a can of worms, it's an ethical you, you, yeah, can of worms. You, you could start convicting family members. and it, Again, this is Law & Order, trying to te- tackle something topical. Uh-huh. Crime tech. What do you do when the technology changes? And we can actually start convicting people based on new types of evidence. And how do they adapt to that? Mm-hmm. It's an interesting like, idea. Wh- where, where's the legal line? You invent a new tech and you can convict somebody on new kinds of evidence. You have to start writing that crap into law. You have to start drawing in the sand. Yeah. And the, that's where this drawing gets done is on a show like law and order yeah or, or at least allows a pop audience to understand where those lines are lines are being drawn okay and i think the episode gets a bit distracted but again mm. it's a topical fair enough the next mm. episode is playa vista it's the tiger woods episode yeah <laughs> it's about a female golfer who's murdered and it may have been a male golfer who's been sleeping around on his wife uh guys played by mark blucas who's probably best known from buffy the vampire slayer uh there's an interesting idea they have in here which i actually i don't I, I don't know if this is in the Tiger Woods case or not, but the idea of a post-nup agreement. Like, if... if uh, It's not a divorce, but it's a new... Con- it's like a, after you've already married and then you sign a prenup. Well, what happened is she, she married this guy, he cheated on her, she wanted a divorce. Mm. And instead he had her sign a contract. Every time you can prove I cheated on you, you, you get, get another reward, million yeah. dollars. <laughs> you know what? 
I'd marry a serial cheater <laughs> just for the money. Um, and this is one of those ones where it's but like, ah, oh, clearly the wife did it. Like his wife was jealous and she did it. And, and then the, maybe she was having an affair with the wife. And yeah. yeah. And then uh, it turns out it was their son, the kid who obviously did it. Like from there, the beginning, there's no there's no double back here. There's no red herring this time around. <laughs> they, they want there to be a red herring, but it's a kid it's, just like I did it. Not. Uh, anyway, let's keep going back on this conversation. And, and, the, and the kid's kind of a, like an angry dummy and was set up by his mom to mm-hmm. hate this care. Anyway. Yeah. The other thing this episode deals with is par- parental alienation syndrome, which is a sort of psychological phenomenon in which a parent uses every insidious technique they have to turn a child against the other parent which is a real thing which is a real thing yeah we've all seen subtle versions of this where like mm. you know and, you're, any, any like divorce drama yeah, or yeah, any, just anytime your parents one. are mad and you, you know you're spending more time with one parent than the other and they tell you about why the other parent sucks mm. that's a small version of that this yeah. is like a clinical like almost brainwashing version of that mm. uh which is interesting mm. well, that's an interesting little little episode uh, no, I, I, I like the ones that deal with real psycho, like real actual psychology. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next episode is Zuma Canyon, which is about a shootout at a quinceanera. And this is kind of the last episode. Um, or is this the first episode? This is kind of the first episode. Oh, well, yeah, this is okay. This is the, it's directed by Tom DeSillo, by the way, who mm-hmm. did the, the real blonde and living in oblivion. Mm-hmm. And, um, this is the one where they finally decided to kind of rejigger the show a little bit. So yeah. this is essentially a pilot for season two. Even though it's just another episode in season one. It's a huge shakeup. So yeah, there's this big, big shooting at a quinceanera, and Skeet Ulrich gets a little too close. Yeah, he really gets in the face of like a major drug dealer, Mm. and they pull a drive-by shooting at Skeet Ulrich's house, and Skeet Ulrich is killed. Now, I remember, when because I wasn't watching the show, but this was a really heavily promoted episode. Mm. The idea that a main character in Law & Order would be killed. It's apparently something that hadn't happened in like a long time, if ever. Mm. And they were really selling up. One of the police officers will fall, mm. like what that kind of big deal. And then, <laughs> which of the two will it be? <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of narrowing it down. And it's Skeet Ulrich, and I like Skeet Ulrich fine. He's an okay actor. Um, I didn't. Have, if Corey Stoll had died, I'd be like, "Fuck this show! I'm out." <laughs> like I'm done. He was the reason I was here. And then what happens is the guy they they try to prosecute the guy. The guy ends up escaping to Mexico. Mm. Everyone's pissed, and Alfred Molina. Is so furious with the system, and Peter Coyote is like letting it go because oh, they're oh, more important. Peter Coyote, oh, by the way, I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> I Peter Coyote plays the actual district attorney. Mm-hmm. Peter Coyote, you know him from E.T., The Legend of Billy Jean. Uh, he's in a great Cancel Too Soon show I want to review at some point called The Inside, mm-hmm. um, which was sort of like a weekly Silence of the Lambs kind of show. Cool stuff. Um, he's politicizing it and he's letting it go. And Alfred Molina gets so mad. Assistant District Attorney Alfred Molina gets so mad that he busts himself down to head homicide detective. Which you can do in Los Angeles. Apparently, if you're tired of being a lawyer, <laughs> you, could you could just become now, a senior homicide detective. It is established before this episode that he had previously been a detective but and it was like he decided 15 to become a liar years ago you think he need to get reaccredited at least no, next episode he's just he, no, he's end of this episode end he's of, oh, that's right. he's moving this episode Rex Winter's desk and he's Corey Stoll's partner so he essentially just moves into the that role i didn't know you could do that i didn't know you could fucking can you imagine if I guess, any other show had done yeah. this where like jack bauer got like so mad at the system that he just took chloe's job on 24 <laughs> you just can't do that he's not, he's not qualified for that 24 you could probably get away with that wow, they, they had all kinds of crazy stuff on that show but it's just absurd 
It is just absurd, especially a show that purports to be like kind of realistic. Yeah, it's just they're just desperately trying to like just change everything around. So Alfred Molina becomes. This is also they change. This is the episode where they change the title to Law and Order L.A. rather mm-hmm. than Law and Order Los Angeles. Yep. They had the opening narration this time. They have they have they opening have, credits now. Actually, which they yeah, an opening before. credit sequence. They have kind of a theme song which. Sounds like the original, but remixed mm-hmm. like through this really trippy trip hop kind of way. Uh, Regina Hall and Megan Boone both leave, and they really kind of leave unceremoniously. Like they don't have a big moment. Alvin Molina does. Yeah. Uh, they're replaced by Alana De La Garza, um, and uh, then the show just sort of continues as Law and Order does. Yeah, and then the, and then we just kept on going. So let's keep trucking. The next episode, uh, the Silver Lake episode. I was so upset that this wasn't about like. A, a murder that involved like mustache wax or something <laughs> like like or, organic donuts or yeah. kombucha Silver, Silver you know? Lake is an incredibly I think hipsterism was invented in Silver Lake <laughs> I don't have the rules of that but I'm pretty sure in, in many ways it was the flashpoint for LA hipsterism and, yeah. yeah so that's where you find the fixed gear bikes and the guys with big beards and the, the kombucha outlets and the air bars all of the, the gentrification that LA has in recent years become known for mm-hmm. that's Silver Lake um, the, the crime has nothing to do with Silver Lake. The crime has to do with a former Secret Service agent who doubles as a uh, what was it like a like a sound mm. system installation engineer who scouts mm. out people's houses and commits a oh, series right. of violent rapes mm. and then kills like a whole family and that's basically it. It's a very straightforward, ugly crime mm. episode, and then yeah. it's over. Uh, there, there are a couple episodes throughout the, the history of Law and Order that are more law than certain ones that are more order. Yeah. For the most part, it's half and half. Pretty half and half. Um, right. I, I think people like the cops better because that's why all of the spinoffs are about well, cops and trial by jury. Well, the cops, the thing about the cops, the cops are dealing with the mystery. They don't know mm. who's happening. And I, one thing I do like is like there's a joke that every single actor in the world will eventually be on at least one episode of Law and Order. If you go to a, a show on Broadway yeah. and look through the, the playbill and look at all of the... the we always like to make bets as to like how many people we get through before you see Law and Order in their credits. Right, it's never more than three because what happens is the cops always in- interrogate like a half dozen people, mm. and what they do actually it's actually kind of clever. They'll get like actors who are like a little too big for this to play like, like Sally Kellerman shows up in one of those. Yeah, yeah, like and this is like oh Sally Kellerman. Well, I know Sally Kellerman. She was in Mash. Okay, well clearly she's nope red herring. No, she's the still- casting itself is a red herring. <laughs> it's just a slightly you you know that actor that actor was on Law. They interrogate that person. You think that person's obviously going to be the person who did it? Turns out it was some other guy. Okay, that's pretty pretty clever. Oh, Jeff Fahey. Oh, no, no shit. Oh, hey, Jeff oh, I, that one actually well, paid yeah, off. Fahey, but yeah. I, I digress. So the next episode is East Pasadena, <laughs> the most corrupt town in the world, according to Law and Order. Uh, this episode is based off of a scandal uh, in the city of Bell, which is a very small community in Los Angeles. I, I don't know why they didn't set it in Bell, but I, right, I, well, well, I guess they had to cut, pretend it yeah. wasn't based on a thing. So they decide to they decide to accuse East Pasadena of horrific government corruption. Yeah, like. Because I think the city of Bell scandal they, they, they was mostly pose, about people like just paying themselves too much in the city council, which is kind of what's happening, and, and they're yeah. like embezzling like f- because they've artificially inflated uh, like city permits. and Well, stuff. the idea is that if you want to like 
be a plumber or install a pool or something in the city of East Pasadena. Again, in Law and Order Los Angeles specifically, uh, you ha- they shake you down. There's like cop shows up, mm. says you need special permits to work in East Pasadena. It's a flagrant amount of money, and mm. that money just goes into the pockets of the city councilman. And like that's it. That's and I, that's, that's, I, that's the I, scheme. I did like that the per like the clerk that they were investigating at first was like, no, I just get paid this much. I thought it was a good job. <laughs> she didn't think she was up to anything corrupt. She was just following the rules. Yeah, they deal with actually. Uh, uh, there's a shooting in this episode. A guy uh, whose wife was the clerk who was initially accused of malfeasance goes to a city council meeting, whips out a gun, and then Alfred Molina and Corey Stoll, like, you know, they split up. Corey Stoll's going to create a diversion. Alfred Molina's going to disarm the suspect. Corey Stoll actually, like, airballs it like it looks like he's actually maybe nervous to actually mm. be part of a shooting after his partner died that actually was dealt with the fallout of a previous episode in a dramatically satisfying way and i appreciated that <laughs> um and then it ends up being about whether alfred molina who ends up shooting this guy whether his testimony is believable and what the defense attorney tries to do is he tries to get after you actually shoot someone if you're a police officer you have to have a psychological evaluation because you just ended a human life that should affect you if it doesn't that's a problem let's hope yeah if it doesn't affect you you're probably not going to be a cop that's you you shouldn't be a cop Mm -hmm. if it has no impact on you whatsoever Mm -hmm. even if you were even with self-defense you should take that seriously so Alfred Molina doesn't want his test uh, doesn't want a psychological violation getting out there, and everyone thinks it's because he said something really, really horrible. When what he actually said was, "I'm not sure I trust my partner in a life or death situation," mm. because after the death of his previous partner, he hesitated in a very important moment, and which is a, a legit concern. It's a legit concern. He has a really good heart to heart with Corey Stoll about it. Worked out pretty nice. <laughs> Decent little drama. The episode itself and maybe made a bit too big was, a deal out of East Pasadena, well, which is kind it, of like it, a nine it, it was about like this know, really but. boring like city zoning stuff, which is happening all the time in LA. So yeah. nice that they bothered to go there. I don't think they did it very accurately or necessarily all that interestingly, but there you go. Mm. Uh, so the next episode mm. is Benedict Canyon. Uh, this was about a Hollywood stylist. Oh, is this the one shot- with Khloe Kardashian? Yeah, Khloe Kardashian as herself. As the, herself. The plot revolves around. I'm a, surprised they didn't do this like every episode. They got right? like some some low rent star. It's like, and here's Bob Saget as himself. Yeah, Bob Saget shows up as a different character. But yeah. <laughs> so in this episode, a Hollywood stylist is murdered, and they suspect it may have something to do with the fact that at an award show, she made Khloe Kardashian's ass look flat. Mm. To which Corey Stoll, while interviewing Khloe Kardashian, whose bit of business I might add is, is boxing, boxing, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> It's a great little moment. Mm. Uh, Do you think they asked Kim, but they couldn't get her, so they got Chloe? I think Chloe's famous enough. I think it's fine. But like, <laughs> I mean, they're all they're all like absurdly famous. I, I'm not 100 sure why. Like, I still don't know why we. They're all famous knew who they for were. some reason. I'm surprised they didn't get like Angeline. Hey, Angeline, what were you doing? I was visiting the home planet. Okay, you're not going to be help. <laughs> not going to be help, Angeline. Khloe Kardashian says, yeah, that woman made my ass look flat. And Corey, Corey Stoll says, I find that hard to believe. <laughs> like the way that was like, if, you're, if your alibi doesn't check out, I find it hard to believe you got from Santa Monica to the Valley in one hour at 4 p.m. Like that, that level of tone. As he doesn't believe, like, it's really funny. There's a later episode in which someone, um, Corey Stoll says to a guy, guys, like it's the Westwood episode. I think it's the last episode of the show. And the guy is, has an office in Westwood and he's got to get to Santa Monica. And Corey Stoll says, yeah, I know you you want to get to uh, get out, get out of here before the uh, before rush hour traffic turns the ten into a parking lot, and I'm like, 
It's westward to Santa Monica. You take Ohio to Barrington, and no, you're no. halfway there. You're not going to take the freeway. If you're going westward to Santa Monica, you're heading west. And at rush hour, you can go west, no problem. It's going east where the, the 10 is a parking lot. The line. biggest problem, you run into a little problem on the Pacific Coast Highway. My point well, is, is that you can take, but... take surface streets to Santa Monica in less time mm. at rush hour. Yeah. Absolutely. It's an absurd take statement. A, take Olympic. <laughs> Fuck you, Law & Order Los Angeles. I digress. Uh, to, to be fair, to be fair, this show does get the geography correct. Mostly correct. Uh, I, something that really outraged me about watching 24 was that they were driving all around Los Angeles in like a second. It's like, yeah. um, I'm in Silmar. I'll be on the west side in 10 minutes. No, you won't, you asshole. <laughs> Unless you have a Concorde jet, you're not making that. There is you know, nowhere you can go in Los Angeles that isn't half an hour away. Minimum. Yeah. yeah. And I mean and I mean literally mm-hmm. a two mile drive. Uh, that's something <laughs> you I, plan for half an hour. Something I really appreciated about uh, the, the remake of the Italian job is like they're they're doing these like heists in the the hills of Italy or whatever, and it's like how how fast can it get you? Oh, I can get like thirty miles in you know, like uh, two minutes. It's gonna be great. And then they said, okay, driver, how long will it take you to get from Santa Monica to Westwood? And it's, and it cuts to him, like, timing, like, how fast he can drive there, and he's stuck in traffic. Yeah. It's like, how long did it take you? It took me three and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay, well, that scratch that idea. Um, so, yeah, in La Dorta, Los Angeles, they're not really realistic about sort of traffic and actual drive times, but they do take, like, the correct freeways. Now, they do refer to the Pomona Freeway in one episode. No one. No one. We don't do that. No one does that. But they do get our terminolo- our freeway terminology correct. So we, right. we say the 10, we say mm-hmm. the 405. Yeah. And I've heard... Um, like, L.A. actors refer to freeways in films that are set in Texas. It's like, I'll just take the 605. No, you will take I-605, because that's the way they refer to them in Texas. One of my uh, one of my favorite things in the movie Zootopia, which is totally a Los Angeles film noir, but uh-huh. in Disney mode, is uh, there's uh, there's a scene where Judy Hopps refers to Tahunga mm-hmm. as Tajunga. <laughs> which, which, there's that in Los Angeles. You know someone is new to Los Angeles, so they call it Tajunga. You also know if they don't call it Cahuanga. Kahunga. Yeah, if they call it Kahunga, you're just like, you are so baby-faced. Sprouse, you just moved here, Sprouse didn't you? Kahunga. Right off of the... There's some things we get wrong. First of all, Los Angeles is Romanized. Uh, yeah. Or, anglicized, excuse me. Yeah. Um, uh, San Pedro is another one that drives me up the wall. As well it should. It's a stupid way to <laughs> why, say that. Why do, we say, why do we call it San Pedro? It's San Pedro. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I digress. So there's a, there's a publicist she gets murdered, and it turns out there was a rival... Mm-hmm. Uh, a rival uh, 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 stylist designer, yeah, uh, who inc- who used an ex cop who Alfred Molina used to work with, played by Jeff Fahey, good little supporting performance, uh, to kill her. And it turns out she killed her because they were long lost sisters, which is some mm-hmm. real melodramatic bullshit. <laughs> it's like it's really just a huge just pull out of the deep mm-hmm. end of melodrama stuff. Really great. Next episode, Reseda. Uh, this is an episode, this is the bank robbery episode? This is the one where, um, the bank robber's M.O. is that he, t- he photoshops pictures of hostages. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he f- studies the clerks and finds their relatives and then takes pictures of them and, like, photoshops that he's kidnapped them. Mm-hmm. This episode, and uses them to, yeah. uses those pictures to rob banks. This episode gets really complicated because it turns out the bank robber is also a mad bomber. Mm-hmm. And he's, his, his house is so rigged with explosives... 
that they cannot investigate it for evidence, and as a result, he might get off because they there's can't. no evidence. There's no evidence. I'm like, we, there's no evidence because his house is rigged with bombs. And, and that bo- could be a coincidence. And the bomb squad wants to burn the house down because it's dangerous because it's loaded with bombs. So that's actually kind of a fun catch twenty two. And I did. I liked the uh, the cops concede in this episode where Corey Stoll sets off a motion detected motion activated bomb, and yeah. he has to just stay totally still in this house. Yeah, and they have to, and he has to stay there while they go get the guy yeah. to tell him how to get out of there. That's like, always that's always fun. Yeah, that's so always like, a great scene. Corey Stoll's just sort of standing there. I, I I imagine like Corey Stoll like standing there for like 45 minutes while they drive across town to get this guy. It's like, can you call somebody? Where are they? How far away are Doesn't they? that sound like a great monologue? Like a one-man show about a guy who just stepped on a bomb uh-huh. and then like some other guy went to get the bomb squad and it's just him thinking about his life. Doesn't that sound like a great one-man show that it's Corey good, Stoll could do? It's a really crackerjack short story. The other... And, uh, yeah. The other wrinkle of this episode is uh, the is the third strike law. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Los Angeles. I don't know if they have this everywhere, but Los Angeles has three strikes. You're out. Where if you're convicted for uh, the same crime three times, you get life in prison. I think this was a George Bush senior. It was from like the nineties. Maybe it was, it was like a, it was like a Clinton thing. policy. It was. Yeah. It was. It's it was obviously meant as a deterrent. So even if you're like, oh, you're arrested for possession, you're arrested for possession twice, you get mm. twice the sentencing, you're arrested for possession three times, well, clearly you're never going to learn your lesson, so you go in jail forever. It's a terrible law. It's a <laughs> shitty law, and it has led to so many problems. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's one of those things that sounds kind of okay on paper, but then you think about it for two seconds and you realize mm. this is going to destroy so many lives. Yeah. And it's so easy but, to mess up and abuse. And so the idea mm. is they can't get the guy for the house full of bombs. And for the bank robberies, because all the evidence is in a house full of bombs. So what they decide to do is they do have a witness who saw him steal a bicycle. So they're going to st- convict him for bicycle theft. And that would be his third strike. And then he'd go to jail for life. And they'll be like, good enough. He's in jail. He's <laughs> off the streets. It's We're like, happy with this. It's like busting Al Capone for tax evasion. And they feel really, really clever about it. And, uh, and then it turns out that the witness mm. who helped, you know, says, I saw him steal that bicycle. Uh, a, near, a nearby community decides to prosecute her for watching a guy steal a bicycle, and that's her third strike as well. And they're like, oh, that's why this system doesn't work. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's why this doesn't work at all. So and they have this, to get this, themselves this out of it. This pretty innocent woman is now also going to go to prison for the yeah. same amount of time. I, I like that I, they address that, because that's a difficult issue, and it's hard there, to illustrate sometimes. There was one line I really appreciated that, uh, a little more character through line for Alfred Molina's character. It's mm. like, he, he was a district attorney. Now he's a cop again. Now he's in a house full of bombs, and Corey Stoll, like, after he gets out of the, the house full of bombs, says, you wish you were a lawyer again right now, weren't you? And Alfred Molina says, uh-huh, yes, I don't want to do the house full of bombs thing, please. Uh, the next episode is Runyon Canyon, uh, which is about a college sex party gone horribly wrong and resulted in a woman's murder. Yeah. Look. College sex parties are fine, but not. But you got to do them right. Yeah, There's a right is, and a wrong way to do this. Things. Is watch this episode for the wrong way to do a college sex party. Like it's just everything goes horribly, horribly, I'm, horribly wrong. And they they try to like make it really kind of sexy and salacious, and it turns out this one woman was like manipulating young men to like well, have group sex the, with them. The and, idea was but she was like almost like a super villainess the way she did it. There were these two med students, mm-hmm. both female. Uh, and they were both seen as kind of wallflowers. One of them had a boyfriend, one of them didn't. And the other one said she really wanted to try kinky sex, like like mm-hmm. not, like strangulation and all these things, which are, you know, people are into them, but you got to do them safely. And uh, so the other girl said, okay, I have a boyfriend. He's got a friend. We'll make it a whole thing. And then she, but it turns <laughs> out. Make an evening out of it. And it turns out she's really 
kinky dom, mm-hmm. and she was controlling the entire event, and then it got way out of hand. There were drugs, there was non-consent, it got and, really terrible. And there was also some uh, resentment that hadn't been spoken before. Yeah, and so this woman is being railroaded, and what's interesting is that the majority of the evidence that they have is everyone saying how kinky she is. Mm. Therefore, she is a sick, twisted, killer sadist, and it turns out she didn't fucking do it. Uh-huh. It Shit, so. shit went down and she deserves to be punished for it, but like she didn't kill anybody mm-hmm. and it turns out there was actually some just horrible misogynist who just stumbled across this woman as she was running away from the house mm. huge coincidence but whatever at least addressed some interesting you know elephants in the room mm. of that part of that sort of conversation about young well, people it, and sexual experimentation and well, what's and also, wrong and what's through yeah. through the eyes of the law this is technically just violent behavior so they have to start drawing lines you know where do we draw the line between uh, you know, recreational violent behavior and criminal violent behavior. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, they have to sort of start parsing that out in actual words. The next um, episode. I don't like how she was depicted as this, like, horrific villain. Mm, yeah. I, I did like that they pointed out the difference between, like, the right and the wrong way to strangle someone. Yeah. There were, like, two, two different bruise marks around her neck. And, like, this is how you kill someone. This is how you... Strangle someone. Yeah, yeah, strangle someone. I did appreciate that. Mm. The next episode... There's a term I'm going to start using on Cancel Too Soon when we can run into the same problems shows have over and over again. Uh-huh. I'm going to start calling them shufflers. Shufflers? This is when, this is when the episodes air out of order and the show no longer makes sense. Okay. Well, okay, I have a theory on this. Okay. They are these out of order. So all of a sudden, Skeet Oliver is alive again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Regina, Hall, Regina Hall is back. Uh, uh, Alfred Molina is a district attorney again. Uh-huh. And... When you encounter Law and Order in the wild, it's usually in a hotel room. <laughs> we we always played a game where you you sit down in a hotel room and you see how many channels you can flip before you run into Law and Order at any any time of day, at any time of year, in any hotel room. It, you won't get far. You won't get. It, it'll take like maybe four clicks max between TNT, you watch. TBS, and USA. You won't get far. Yeah, Law and Order is pretty much running twenty four seven, and. You don't know what episode you're going to get, and they're all autonomous, so it doesn't really matter where you dip into or fall out of the show. Um, so I think when they released this on DVD, they did not correct the episode order to they, simulate the experience of encountering Law and Order in the wild. <laughs> it's like, yeah. wait, well, in the last one, this guy died. Oh, he's bad. Ba- okay, well, I guess that's, you know, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm gonna just catching this, this random episode on TBS. I, I'm going to say this right now to people who put out TV shows on DVD or even on streaming. Mm. Uh Put on the, put the air date on the information. Like make sure it's clear. So if you want to watch them in the order in which they aired, you can without mm-hmm. having to look it up online. But show re, them in the order. Number the episodes. Show them in the order in which they were intended to be shown because that's how we're going to binge them. It's going to get real confusing because this episode ends on a huge cliffhanger mm-hmm. that never gets resolved. It's supposed to be the season finale, and then the episodes after that pretend that episode didn't exist, and then in a couple episodes, Skeet Ulrich is alive again. Uh-huh. <laughs> they just run through some old Skeet Ulrich episodes they forgot <laughs> to air. So Hayden Tract is actually, uh, uh, probably, like, this is actually one of the more like upsettingly close Mm. Uh, uh, crimes that they've sort of reenacted. It's based off of the uh, uh, an actual shooting in Arizona. Yeah, where a politician was actually shot at mm. a public rally, and so there's a big rally. Someone is killed in a in a shooting, and they're trying to track him down. And it turns out, and this is just face 
appallingly bad. Uh, uh, there was a a person who was mentally ill and couldn't tell the difference between Silent Hill and reality. <laughs> it, it, it was a video game character. It was a video game, but it was a video game very explicitly based off of Silent Hill. I wrote down what right. they called it. Hang on here. They called mm-hmm. it uh, Shadow Hills. And the idea oh, was... The, I, I didn't put that together. Oh, no. It's real obvious. Because the whole idea of Silent Hill, a lot of the Silent Hills are about someone who goes missing mm. or someone who is supposed to be dead and maybe they're alive. And, and you're go, investigating go this. Silent Hill or wherever it is. Yeah, yeah, so Silent Hill, I think the first one is about a father looking for his missing daughter and then they ended up updating that in the movie to be a mother looking for a missing daughter, but I digress. Mm. Uh, so here there's a video game about a missing daughter and he thinks it's a huge conspiracy and it turns out that the senator, I think, who gets shot in the beginning of this episode... Before she was a senator, she designed that video game, and I'm like, you are reaching. <laughs> you are really reaching. Anyway, they they find out the guy's crazy and everything, and it's fine, but it mm. all keeps cutting to Corey Stoll in Mexico trying to track down Skeet Ulrich's killer. Mm. And at the end, he's gone Which, missing, and they don't know where he is, except that he's probably in Mexico. And it, that was the big cliffhanger. It's a little... And the the, the killer character comes back, too. That yeah. same actor. So, um, again, I don't want to know about these guys' backstories or their revenge. I want to see the, the job wearing on them. Yeah. I want to see how hard they have to work to stay on the job. Yeah. And over the course of several seasons, it's okay to see them kind of change very subtly. But I don't want to see them seek out dramatic retribution in this fashion. That's not Law and Order to me. It's really not. It's actually about the collapse of Law and Order, if yeah, you really think yeah. about it. And that's, I don't that's just buy, vigilantism. And I don't buy Corey Stoll. Corey Stoll... Who's always the laid-back one. He's really laid-back. I appreciate that the death of his partner means a lot to him, and they've already established that it does. He's not corrupt. Mm. He's not. He's he's really, really not. So, and I don't mean like he, corruption. Here's, it has to be like he kills people. It just means he takes the system really, really seriously. So it really doesn't make any sense that he would jump out of this without knowing a lot more about it. And again, it's not what the show is about. Here's what you do. You have Terry Polo go get revenge and ask Corey Stoll for help. And Corey Stoll's drama is, does he help her or not? You could do that. You could also simply do a thing where the guy escaped to Mexico. He gets arrested again. Mm. And now they oh, have to deal go. with it. He's a suspect in another crime. Maybe he's back in Los Angeles for some criminal enterprise, and they have to or track they... him down. They have a time limit. You can bring the bad guy back. Is that episode? Not every episode of Law and Order ends with the criminal convicted. Most do, yeah. but some well, don't. You I, just I, I actually, bring that guy back. I like that the that it's not always a, like a grand conviction. It's not yeah. a big dramatic moment like in every a single episode of Perry Mason. It was you, wasn't it? Yes, it was me. <laughs> Thanks, Perry Mason. See you next week. It's usually that, but not always. Uh, not always, yeah. yeah. Some, sometimes the bad guys get away, and everybody's really kind of miserable, because the system isn't perfect. Mm-hmm. The system has problems. The, the, the criminal justice system is a flawed figure, and I think uh, they're wise to acknowledge that. The next episode is Big Rock Mesa, which is the California Wildfires episode. That's right. Uh, you, you may have heard recently in the news, we had one of our, I think it was the biggest wildfire we ever had. In history. Yeah, it's... One of the most devastating, de- most, most destructive fire in history. Devastating, deadly. You could see it from our apartment. Mm-hmm. Like it was insane. Um, and a uh, bunch of people, bunch of dead bodies show up in the middle of it. And it turns mm-hmm. out that they were not killed by the fire; they were murdered. Yeah. And the fire may have 
may have been started to cover it up, or it may have just been a convenient way to sort of dispose of the bodies. And we find <clears throat> this cadre of, like, horrible hippie dicks who just hate homeless people. Yeah, there's a bunch <laughs> of rich people who live in the hills. There's this... One of them is played by Denise Crosby. <laughs> yep. There's there's this there's like two kinds of people <clears throat> in Los Angeles. Mm. Uh, people who are rich enough to buy really expensive houses in places that are prone to mudslides and brush fires, <laughs> and people who don't understand those people. Uh, the people who own those houses, you know, there, there's like a certain an, like cognitive an, disconnect there. Maybe that's not the wisest place to buy a house. I'm going to move onto the side of a mud hill in Malibu. Great. What happens when it rains? It'll never rain. <laughs> The, uh, so, like, these people, they they ran back to their homes in order to, like, wet down their, their roofs so mm. that the fire might not destroy all their belongings. An understandable thing to want to do. You're not supposed to do that, but they did it. Mm. While they were doing that, they found homeless people taking shelter in their houses. They freaked out and killed the homeless people. And one guy who wasn't homeless, which is why anyone gives a shit. Yeah, which is kind of twisted. And, and uh, uh, this is still a problem because... Uh, the fire evidently was started by a, home, a homeless community. Yeah. A bunch of people had moved into like this sort of ramshackle town that they'd built themselves. They had no other place to go. Yeah. They were cooking, and there was an accident, and the fire started. This kind of, so fact, I think, that's actually, I think they actually decided still, that's, one of, that's what happened this last time. So, yeah. There's some cooking no, thing that the, went wrong. No, yeah. that's what I was talking about. Real life. Oh, real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, listen, it's, there, there's concerns about such things, but it ends up being an indictment of our homeless people people. And mm. what they end up having to try to convince the jury is it doesn't matter if these people were like, oh no, homeless people, they probably want to murder us. <laughs> what matters is that these people killed these people and tried to hide the bodies, and the jury ends up deciding, nope, they're rich, who gives a shit? And that's actually one of the more depressing and cynical endings of any episode in this season. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next episode. I'm surprised there aren't more episodes that deal with homelessness, which is, you know, big in Los Angeles. There's a mm. lot of homeless people well, here. Have you noticed, and I appreciate that they're not painting Los Angeles as a community of uh, various criminal subcultures, but mm. most episodes are about white people. Like the, Most yeah. murders committed in Los Angeles involve white people, mm-hmm. rich white people, in particular, a yeah, lot of them. Yeah. And I'm just like, that's an interesting choice you made. I'm not going to comment too much but, about it, because I think there's good and bad that comes from that. I, I think when they're coming at Los Angeles, they're thinking, oh, this is the land of, of glamour, it's the land of wealthy people, so yeah. we're going to explore murder in the wealthier communities and not mm-hmm. just do sort of ordinary street crime. Yeah. Uh, Which is also an approach they do on the regular Law and Order. It's not just some sort of, like, street muggers that they go after. It's usually some sort of more complicated guys who live in ivory towers sort of murderers. Yeah. Uh, so the next episode is the Bernie Madoff episode. <laughs> the Bernie Madoff episode uh, involves there's a guy the, found the murdered in a hotel scheme, room. Yeah. Turns out uh, the guy murdered in a hotel room was murdered to help cover it up like an armored car robbery. The armored car robbery uh, was committed to help raise money to pay this Bernie Madoff billionaire so that he won't be killed in prison. Turns out the, Billy, the Bernie Madoff guy's daughter was behind all of these scams and the Bernie Madoff guy I, was you know manipulating what? her. And it gets really convoluted real fast. I have to admit, I kind of fell asleep during this episode. <laughs> so I lost this story, and I, I I have to professionally disclose yeah. that I can't really comment on this the, episode. The episode is basically, there's this billionaire con artist who scammed his daughter into mm-hmm. doing his dirty work and stealing millions of dollars so that he can continue to live the high life in prison. Mm-hmm. And they end up, she ends up, I think, going to jail. It looks like he's going to get away with everything, and then maybe because he copped a plea, uh, end up getting into like a cushier prison mm. than ever before. And then they decide, and I didn't know you could do this. 
like just as they're about to cop that plea, they say like, yeah, we actually uh, rescind our offer to move him to another prison and we're going to send him to a maximum security prison instead. And I'm like, you can do that? I, I think you can. That's pretty. I'm, that's, I'm, a, that's I'm like, not a lawyer, but a, I'm sure I think you can. A shaky precedent. I know there was like mm-hmm. some rigmarole why they could do it, but it struck me as sort of just like that's that's pretty dark actually for like these characters. Uh, the next episode. Okay, so you said you zoned out during that last episode. Uh-huh. This episode is the only episode of the season that I watched. The way God intended us to watch Law and Order, which is you watch the episode... Do, doing stuff around the house. Yes, yeah, I watched this episode while I was cooking. <laughs> and sure enough, it played fine. Yeah, yeah. Th- This is a weird episode, though. So, like, this a guy... Is, get, this is, like, yeah, Russian spies in this yeah, episode. Yeah, this is, this is the Americans episode. Oh. Uh, so the idea is... Uh, oh, and by the way, uh, uh, this is the episode where uh, Skeet Ulrich is back. He's just back. Just back. Just forgot to mention he had these cases earlier. Our and, bad. And I, they don't. I don't think they bother to change the opening credits either. I don't think so. Like it's it's Alfred. Like he doesn't. Like I think he gets a credit. I'm at the trying head, to remember. Like after the opening credits. I'm trying to remember. It's it. weird. Yeah. Um, so a guy gets murdered. Turns out there are a bunch of Russians in Los Angeles who are kidnapping Russian nationals or Russian immigrants so that they can ransom them to their rich still Russian families. Mm. And they kidnapped the wrong woman because her and her whole family were installed there by the Russian government to spy on America. (laughs) A bit absurd, but fun. A bit absurd, topical for today. (laughs) Um... And, uh, yeah, and then it turns into this whole big thing where they can try to prosecute the Russians for committing this murder on American soil, but they only have, like, one week to do it because they are going to be traded back to the Russian government for some American spies who are still in Russia. And I'm like, oh, God, this is so fucking contrived. This is amazing. And this was well before Bridge of Spies came out. Oh, yeah, but that Bridge of Spies is based on true story, though. That's true. So there you go. Um... Anyway. Both kind of based on the same spy it's a little bit yeah, of thing. Okay. And all the rest of the episodes are, by the way, are Skeet Ulrich yeah. episodes. Uh, so the next episode... Carthay Circle is the next episode. Yeah. I'm try- oh, this is the uh, gay marriage episode. Yeah. Where uh, a they're trying to pass another uh, anti-gay marriage ballot initiative. And this one really deals with... This is the one with Charles S. Dutton. Yeah, love Charles S. Dutton. Charles S. Dutton uh, is a preacher, and he's trying to pass a conservative anti-gay marriage law, and they deal with the fact that a lot of people uh, in Los Angeles who describe themselves as liberal Mm. vote very conservatively when it comes to gay marriage. Yeah. Uh, and that was actually a big irony when well, Barack and, Obama was elected president, mm. but we also passed a law banning gay marriage in, in California. And it was just sort of like, yay, but no. Uh, well, and, and everybody said, oh, and it was all you know, this conspiracy about like Mormons from Utah were coming in to mm. sort of taint the, the politic of the time. It was but local churches. It was local, local, it was local churches. It, yeah. it was. And and they actually addressed this in the episode. It was local black churches. Mm-hmm. It was all it was all very voted very strongly along racial lines. So mm-hmm. I think this is an episode that's trying to address that head on. And that's a difficult conversation to have. Mm-hmm. Alfred Molina, who's back as a district attorney in this one, mm-hmm. addresses that irony in court. Mm. A lot. Um, this episode is all about how far Charles S. Dutton is willing to do because it turns out his son actually committed the murder mm. and helped cover it up with and like a politician. He has a really great scene at the end where he changes his mind like three times on the stand. Yeah, it's a tough scene. Oh. It's a really tough scene. And Charles S. Dutton, 
who I consider one of the most underappreciated actors. Oh, he's a great actor. Uh, find a bad he, Charles S. Dutton is, performance, you'll never find he it. He is very well rewarded. He is not underrated. He's, I feel like he's, he's doing just fine. He, fair enough. I feel like he should be more famous than he is. He, he's, sh- he's, he should have multiple Oscars. Upper but, echelon yeah. character actor, mm. for sure. Should have multiple Oscars. He's a brilliant actor. Look and up, it's look a tough his, scene, and uh, he nails it. Look up his, his sitcom Rock at some point. That was R-O-C. a great show. It was a great show. That was a really great show. Yeah. Okay. Um... Anyway, good episode. Yeah, we tackled um, some difficult issues in a, in a way that I thought was pretty fair. Um, in the next episode, El Sereno mm-hmm. is uh, about a office shooting at a mortgage office, and uh, it ends up being a, a very uh, racially motivated. The only African American uh, person at the business felt that he was being treated poorly by all of the Hispanics mm. at the business. Um, and uh, another, and this is the one where it turns out that Rachel Tikatin. Mm. had been videotaped not that long ago giving a speech about how when she was just starting on the force she racially profiled someone and how it made her feel strong but that wasn't the whole video no it wasn't but this because and again i i said i don't usually don't like when they explore uh the back issue the back stories of the back issues the back stories <laughs> of the cops um but this one i really appreciated because it actually does come into play if uh, a an arresting officer might have something like a prejudice yeah. or, or some, uh, some sort of tainting uh, motive behind their actions, uh, it actually does come into play in court. So yeah. Rachel Ticketon is brought on, st- on stand yeah, to, to stand to, trial to explain for what the explaining hell she was what, talking yeah, about. Were you racially profiling this guy? We have you on video saying you do that. Yeah. And she said, well, first of all, I want to testify because watch the whole video. Yeah. Because there's actually a moral to this story. It's not, yeah. it made me feel strong. And then later on, like, like, like Someone, the next day... The, I, ne- the next day I saw somebody else get racially profiled, a gay person, and that made me feel really, ho- really horrible because, guess what, I'm gay. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then I realized... And you know what? Nothing is made of that. Yeah, they really don't make a big deal mm. of it. It's just like, I and I was... Well, she was also speaking to a bunch of gay officers, mm. and she didn't want to initially go on the record because not all of them are out. Yeah. And that's not her, her mm. place to say. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, I was telling the story about how when I was young, I made a horrible mistake. I contacted the person who I racially profiled. Um, we, we communicated. I made restitution. Uh, I felt really bad about it. And I was telling people, never, ever, 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 ever do that. Mm. And that was many, many years ago that I did this. And boom, well, I, boom, I, I admit it's a mistake, yeah. Yeah, well handled, and Rachel Tickleton is another great actor who doesn't always get her due, I think. The next episode is... she's terrific in this episode, Great episode. It's a great, great, uh, great performance. The next episode is the porn episode. (laughs) And at first I was just like, oh, I knew we'd get to this. Mm. And uh, it's about a couple of porn stars who are making a special appearance at a posh birthday party. Mm. A bunch of Armenian gang members come in and beat everyone to death with sticks. Yep. And they leave the sticks behind, dummies. (laughs) Anyway. They're, they're at the crime scene. He's like, hey, look, here's the here's the beaten stick. Bob Saget shows up as like this head of Vivid Studios, Larry mm. Flint. Sorry, Larry Flint's type. And Good turns, casting. <laughs> and, it, and they think it all has to do with maybe the people who were having this big posh birthday party were involved in stealing from the Armenian mob. Mm. It turns out that's just what Bob Saget wanted them to think. Because what happened was Bob Saget. Okay, if if stealing from the Armenian mob is your spin, something's really <laughs> terrible. Bob Saget found out that one of his young starlets mm. was HIV positive. 
she had been sleeping. Her boyfriend, she didn't get it on a porn set, which is what usually happens uh, when people find themselves uh, with a sexually transmitted infection mm. in the adult entertainment industry. Usually it isn't contracted on a porn set. Usually it's contracted from someone who isn't involved in the adult entertainment yeah, industry. Yeah. Because it's, it's, in the adult industry, people are tested all the time. Back yeah. when this was recorded, they were tested even less often than they are now, but it was still at least once a month. Well, the, it was a big, big problem in the 80s, you know, before. Oh, yeah. You know, when the AIDS crisis was exploding, you know, it mm. did become a big problem in the porn industry. And the porn industry was actually very good about regulating itself. Well, yeah. It's about, their, you know, t- they want to keep their livelihoods, so let's test everybody and, and make and sure their people, lives. Yeah. And their lives. So uh, he found out that one of his stars was HIV positive, and in mm. order to cover it up, he had her killed because the porn industry would go on high. People would lose all their money. That's a really cynical and shitty way of looking at the adult entertainment industry that someone would commit murder for that because that's not how that works. But I digress. Uh, I don't digress. Actually, that's the whole point. The point <laughs> is, and then what happens is it's they cor- turn corruption in, in the porn industry. So Bob Saget like turns state's evidence to go against the Armenians. But then uh, what they decide to do is they decide to try Bob Saget for knowingly. Uh, putting his performers at risk because he knew his performer was mm. HIV positive and then he still let her work, which is idiotic because the whole point well, was he was going to kill her so that she couldn't infect someone and shut down the industry. If he let her work, she would have infected other people. He would have had to kill everyone who ever worked for him. Maybe that was his plan all it's along. stupid plan! <laughs> the whole point is he, he, he did this elaborate scheme to murder yeah. somebody to prevent this infection from going throughout the adult entertainment industry but and then he just let them work! It makes no sense. He let them work for a little bit and then decided that, oh, it's better if I just kill her. It makes no sense at all. There's a good... He changed his mind, but in a really... Anyway. There's a good subplot in this one, though, with actually Corey Stoll actually having a flirtatious and actually very sweet uh, sort of romantic interest Mm. in the young woman who they find out is HIV positive. And... At the end of the episode, obviously, she's HIV positive. That mm-hmm. It's going to make the, com- the relationship very difficult. And they make it a whole thing about she's going to move to Bakersfield with her parents. And Corey Stoll's like, Bakersfield's not that far away. And mm-hmm. she's like, yeah, it is. <laughs> and, and you know what? Yeah, it is. It, it, it's, it's crazy. For, I've, seen, I've seen relationships break up between someone who lives in West LA and someone who lives in Glendale, which is yeah. like 30 minutes away. Mm-hmm. Bakersfield is a long drive. <laughs> but I, I like that it was like that was the code for it, you're, it's not going to work out. It's yeah, too complicated. Yeah. It's too complicated. It's never going to work. It was nicely handled, actually, I thought. Mm. It was a good little bit. Um, and then the last episode is Westwood. It's the UCLA. It's the UCLA murder episode. And they make some big boner uh, uh, decisions about how to handle UCLA. UCLA is a closed campus. Not really. No, you can you, get up to UCLA. UCLA is an open campus. <laughs> yeah, you can get to you know you, anyone can walk onto UCLA. You can't drive on like the sidewalks in the middle of the campus, but you can get your car up there. You can park up there. there it's ridiculous. There all kinds of parking lots. It's the plot revolves around things that aren't true about UCLA, which is kind of frustrating. Uh, but there's a guy who's who's murdered, and it turns out his sister was on the UCLA soccer team, and he was trying to prevent a scandal from coming out because she had played professionally in Mexico, so she would lose her scholarship. Mm. Uh, sure. Her amateur status, exactly, um, which uh, I I know is a real thing because yeah. my sister is an athlete, and they've had to deal with that sort of thing. In the Absolutely, past their, a... their professional status. Mm-hmm. You are she does judo, and if you fight in like MMA, fight like mixed martial art fighting rings, you can't compete in like the Olympics anymore. 
That's an interesting distinction. Yeah, there's, there, there's this weird sort of political line that's drawn between like the purity of the sport. I'm not exactly sure what yeah, motivates to make it. Make a living at yeah. it? I don't really understand. Whatever. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, I digress. Uh, so yeah, and it turns out uh, Dean Norris from Breaking Bad uh, committed the murder, and then. Uh, the father of the young woman killed him in an altercation, and it gets really complicated. Mm. And that's basically it. Was Law and Order Los Angeles canceled too soon? I don't think it matters in Law and Order. I think it could have just yeah. gone on for. I think it could have ended right now, and it could have been, and it could have been canceled twenty years from now, mm. and we would have gotten the same thing out of it. Well, I think. In, they were trying to clearly trying to do something new with Law and Order. Mm-hmm. Um, they were trying to innovate, and I think that's what they were trying to do with you know, SVU. And that cut on because it's not murders; it's a different kind of crime, yeah. sexual crimes. Uh, criminal intent was less about the cops and more about the relationship between the cop and the criminal. So it was a very psychological show. Yeah, it was less about the crime and more about how criminals behave. That's the title. This feels like isn't LA weird? This one, in trying to change the setting, is trying to change the mood of the show. The problem is the mood of the show is so strongly dictated by its New York setting mm-hmm. that it's not going to work in Los Angeles. Yeah. And if you're just going to have it settle back into regular Law and Order, you may as well just watch regular Law and Order. Yeah, um, it's it's more of the same, but it's in the wrong context. And the way I put it was, uh, Law and Order is like a really comforting bowl of hot spicy chili on on a cold night in new mm. york it's really cold in your apartment you have this nice hot spicy bowl of food london los angeles is that exact same bowl of chili but you're sunbathing on the beach and you're <laughs> eating this hot spicy chili in the sun you know wearing and it's like i feel like r- really kind of overwhelmed and sick and this isn't this isn't what i want to eat here i want a mai tai on the beach milk was a bad choice <laughs> pretty much Law and Order Los Angeles was a bad choice. Um, no, it's not bad. That, it's just, it's just said, misguided. It's it's perfectly efficient Law and Order. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the idea of setting Law and Order Los Angeles was uh, missed out on because there's a lot more you can do with the setting that they clearly didn't do enough research or have the know-how to really explore. You have an episode set in Los Angeles. You go to Stan's Donuts. All yeah. right, you go to Los Angeles. You go to Westwood. To, you need to, Los Angeles is like. I've been to New York. There's a lot of wonderful and important landmarks in New York, but mm. a lot of New York is buildings. They're old buildings. They're just mm. big stone monoliths. Yeah, all um, these great old WPA buildings. There, there's a reason why it's, it's easier to like fake New York because a stone building could possibly be anywhere. Yeah. LA is a city of many distinctive locales, and they and they're clearly trying to get the, uh, every setting possible into yeah. this. And they could go on for seasons and seasons going like into d- the different bergs I, I within Los Angeles. I appreciated it every time they said they were at a place and it was clear they were at, the, at that place. Yeah. They talked, they said they were at like a business park on Colorado. And I'm like, Oh, I've, I've worked there. Yeah. That's actually like <laughs> lovely fountains. I recognize that. Mm-hmm. That's well done. They got the personality of the place. Right. Um, that's one of the reasons why so many detective stories have always been based in Los Angeles in like the 20th century is because Los Angeles is a very strange community. New York is everything was built on top of each other because New York is only a small place. Well, so they New get York, building taller and taller and taller and everyone's kind of condensed. LA is a sprawl. Yeah, People New, New Yorkers spread are, out. I've, I've talked to New Yorkers about this and th- what I've come... 
what I've heard is that they, they're really distressed by Los Angeles because New York has like a vital center. Yeah. And the, the geography is really bound in and you know where you, you can close your eyes, spin around and know where you are in New York. Well, you can't get lost and, in New York. All the streets are numbered. Yeah. Like, you know, it makes Whereas sense. Los Angeles, like there's downtown, but that's not like the, the thriving hub of LA. There's all these, this like network of hubs that are just sort of spread almost randomly throughout the landscape. And New Yorkers can't deal with that. It's like, so it's just infinite in every direction. Where do, where do I go? Well, you go here, here, or here. How do I get there? Where's the subway? Well, no, there's this, well, there is, there's a subway now. There's a subway now, but there's also this complex network of freeways that are always clogged. And you have to, well, I don't, I don't understand freeways. I don't drive a car. I'm <laughs> to a be New Yorker. perfectly honest, I drive a car. I don't understand freeways. <laughs> It's kind of hard, yeah. They were they were poorly set up. There's Wait like a this minute. huge north, chunk. North is west. What? There's a, yeah, right. I, don't, <laughs> I still understand how the fuck that happened. There's this huge chunk. LA is the majority of like LA proper. What we think of as Los Angeles mm. is confined by four freeways into more or less an oblong box. Yeah. Problem is, if you need to go into the middle of that box, there is no fucking way to get there, and no one thought that anyone would need to get there fast. That's why I need an auto gyro. Right? There's <laughs> there should be a freeway there. going diagonal. You bastards. Who are you? <laughs> thinking you ruined los angeles i'm never gonna build one now we have to bulldoze an entire crisscross of property you'll never happen los angeles is screwed forever pretty much and more people are coming here every day ah! the sprawl will just get worse and the property At values least- keep fucking getting fucked up mm. because no one wants an apartment complex to be built in their house in their neighborhood mm. so everyone's still vying for less housing than ever before and, and now well now they're doing that mixed use thing so you can move into the attic of a subway if you want to i don't want to- who wants to do that it's like I, I live above a starbucks everybody lives above a star i live in a starbucks los angeles needs more apartments and fewer houses that's how it works <laughs> we do well that there's definitely a housing crisis has been going on for many many years uh i'm really glad that they finally passed that that uh billboard law which, which billboard law? Do you, you remember all those big digital billboards that oh, were yeah. going up those those weren't being permitted people were just building them oh okay there was no city zoning going on that. and yeah there's this big big conspiracy like all this big money behind these stupid clear channel billboards yeah it, looked like, it was like it was like we were living in blade runner for a while there it was really weird yeah there was one that that was put up just over there on pico close to our, our apartment building where we were recording and it was so bright it lit up the entire block yeah and people were complaining and the city was like well we're not really sure what's going on with these billboards and it took a couple years but they finally passed legislation to have all of those damn things shut off and you'll notice there's no more digital billboards and i'm so happy that they're actually taking those things down because that is urban blight in a nutshell (laughs) (laughs) get off my lawn while you're at it yeah L.A. is beautiful in tiny spots and but ugly all around. There's a lot of personality here. There's a lot of little tiny personalities hidden underneath other personalities. There's a lot to explore in Los Angeles. That's why I live here. I love it here. It's a great, it's, it's, it's a great city. It's expensive I, AF, and I'm constantly thinking about leaving because it's so expensive. I know, right? But I love it here at the same time. Uh, so Portland's looking ex- attractive these days. It really is. But uh, if you're going to set a show, Law & Order... The law and the order of Los Angeles. You need to know what the fuck it's like out here. You <laughs> it's very specific. You can't phone in it. You can't name your show Law and Order Los Angeles and name each episode like, after the neighborhoods in Los Angeles and not understand you, the neighborhoods I've, in Los Angeles. I've lived in Los Angeles my whole life. If I wanted to write a short story set in Silmar, I would have to move there. That's how <laughs> very distinctive yeah. like individual communities can be. 
It's a fascinating place. If you're not from Los Angeles, if you ever go to Los Angeles, it's a ton to see here. It's really, really incredible. Mm-hmm. If you're moving here, save your money before you get here. You're gonna need it. Or, <laughs> or if if you don't mind, like getting a, a studio apartment in North Hollywood and sharing for, it with three people for, for what you're paying your mortgage now. Yeah, <laughs> like in, it's in Kansas. It's ridiculous. Um. So yeah. Like my sister bought a house in Seattle for like my rent here. Yeah, like, yeah. it's insane. I, I went on a, a a mission in uh, uh, oh god, it was like Northern Virginia. I forgot the name of the community, the uh, uh, county. Yeah, but uh, we visited a, a big house. And it was this gigantic like six bedroom mansion, and me and one of the the other counselors were like looking at each other, like you know, you and I, the two of us together, could buy this right now. With the what we make in Los Angeles, yeah, but we'd have to move to like this the, the middle downside. of nowhere in Virginia. So. That's the downside, um, because LA is a cultural hub. Yep, wonderful things here. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah. I, I guess I was kind of, uh, uh, I, I guess I kind of fudged my answer. Um, you know, what? I want to say it was canceled too soon. I think there's no reason why Law and Order couldn't work yeah. in Los Angeles, and God knows I wanted to see more of Corey Stoll. Because I've seen him on the strain, and he does not have as much to work with. Like, he's really fun. Um, I think they really could have played with this. I think they could have found their groove. And I think if they had gotten some more writers who were more from with L.A., there's no reason why it couldn't have worked if it developed more of its own personality. Mm. So, anyway, that's my philosophy. So let's, uh, let's read some letters. Okay. Uh, you can email us, canceledtosoon at gmail.com. Uh, we get a lot of suggestions uh, for shows through here. Uh, usually it's stuff we already have on our fabled list, which, yes, is longer than my arm. Yeah. Uh, but uh, every once in a while, we've never heard of it. Uh, you can also ask us questions. Do you remember watching these shows when they came out? Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts, memories, suggestions, anything at all? Uh, well, give well, us, a, yeah, give well, us an email. We, we will got? read it. Um, this one comes from Dan. Hi, Dan. Hello. Hey, guys. Uh, in the episode of Doubt of your podcast, you brought up the idea of the movie Doubt with Meryl Streep and Philip Seymour Hoffman, and if that was a show, it would be on HBO and it would be an award-winning dark drama, and this gave me ideas as many movies turn into TV shows eventually, which movies that haven't been TV shows yet uh, have concepts that could be shows today. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I may add that I'm currently watching Millennium because William is saying how good it was, and I'm finishing Battlestar Galactica, and I would love to know more rec- recommendations from the great man himself. Uh, My favorite shows are Hannibal, Sherlock, True Detective Season 1, The Twilight Zone, and The X-Files. Other than those, I have to say you guys do a fantastic job with each podcast, and I'm glad I can be one of the many Daniels who listens to the podcast. (laughs) We do have a lot of Daniels. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, well, uh, let's see. Let me try to think of some suggestions. I mentioned it earlier. Uh, Murder One is one of my favorite shows from the 90s. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first season was all about one big O.J. Simpson-style murder trial. Uh, The second season was about three smaller murder trials, but it was a very clever, really great cast. Super dramatic. I was a huge, huge fan of that. Trying to think what else in that sort of uh, detective vein. If you can track it down, uh, we're going to review it sometime soon. Uh, The Inside is one of my more favorite Cancel Too Soon shows. That was a cool program, but that's really hard to find. Um, uh, I'm trying to think what else in that vein you might think. If you liked like the Sherlock uh, sort of mold, you might want to try... They did a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde series. I don't oh, it, was, it, was a, it was just called Jekyll. It was right? called Jekyll. I don't know if it was a miniseries or like one season of a TV show. It would work either way. 
it's great. Yeah, like it's it, really good, and I highly recommend it. It's really well made. If you like good character-driven police procedurals, uh, delve into Prime Suspect if you can. Um, mm. This is a, a series of is essentially a series of British miniseries uh, where Helen Mirren played uh, the detective, and she, each one of her cases was increasingly complex. It was very Law and Order ish, but mm-hmm. it was a lot more driven on uh, all more based on her. On uh, yeah. Jane Tennyson was her character, and uh, first of all, it's Helen Mirren. She's freaking great, so she just commands the screen. Yeah, and seeing her as a detective is like un- unbelievably thrilling. Uh, if you haven't watched The Fall with Gillian Anderson. It's fantastic and really creepy. Mm. It's all about her trying to catch this one um, misogynist serial killer. Um, Very disturbing. Uh, I only saw the first season of Broadchurch, but I thought it was pretty fantastic, and I would highly recommend checking that out. That's the one with Uh, David Tennant? uh, Yeah. Um, And I think Olivia Colman uh, is in that one as well. Um, hopefully that gives you something to, to work with. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that's like super great that maybe you haven't heard of. Well, you think about it. I'll read, uh, the, I'll read okay. another letter. Um, here's a letter from Paul. Hello, Paul. Gentlemen! Exclamation point. <laughs> I've been meaning to send an email to you since this past summer when I first discovered your podcast. I'm actually really new to podcasts, and uh, while in the midst of my initial search, I came across The Canon. The first show I listened to was the one with Amy and Whitney discussing The Tingler. Yay! Yay, I'm, I'm glad I could be do something with Amy Nicholson because I really admire her and I love the canon. Um, I thought it was a very fantastic and amusing show and I was very disappointed to hear that the Tingler didn't make it into the canon which is a crime. I agree. Yes it is. That's ridiculous. The listeners of the canon I wasn't convincing enough for the listeners of the canon. It's all on me. You failed. It's on me and it's on Amy Nicholson. Um, Anyway, the one thing that really stuck with me uh, the most was when Whitney mentioned the Cancel Too Soon podcast and the fact that you guys had reviewed The 100 Lies of Blackjack Savage. Yay! To be honest, this is the first time I'd ever heard another human mention that abomination <laughs> since I was 13. Anyway, I remembered liking the show as a kid and looked forward to hearing how you both thought that it held up. I, I was side-splittingly mortified. It was hands down the most hilarious podcast I'd ever heard, and I enjoyed Aww. the humorously professional preparation you guys went through to review it. Well, we just watched every episode, <laughs> which is more than most people did that's true yeah, I'm, I'm willing to bet most of the like producers and cast of the show didn't watch every episode i think most of them would be really happy to just forget that show ever happened <laughs> they're probably really mad at us for still bringing it up it was unquestionably eye-opening and i've stuck around since then i've uh, i've not once been disappointed i love the critically acclaimed podcast oh, and now you two have equally enjoyable favorites keep it up and i look forward to the day you review the adventures of briscoe county jr along with the disney zorro series from the late 50s it is my favorite television show thanks for the time paul we'll look into zorro yeah, there's a. I think there's a couple of Zoros. Wasn't there like a sci-fi animated Zoro? Yeah, it was like it's called like Zoro 2050 or something. Yeah, there, there's a sci-fi Zoro out there too. Sergio, silencio, <laughs> shush. You're, cat, you're a bad cat. Our mascot is yowling at us. Sergio, mm. it's not Here, lunchtime yet. Buddy. Here's a letter from Josh. <laughs> Hello, Bibbs and Whitney. Hi. You asked for more letters, and by God, I'm going to try to deliver. Listening to your podcast reminded me of the days when my dad would talk about a couple of canceled too soon shows, one being the famous Teddy Z with John Cryer, which I have never seen as I would have been five at the time of its airing, and Paul Haggis' EZ Streets, which I think I've seen... uh Seen back in the days of the Trio Network when it was on the air. Mm. Uh, curious if you have any cancel shows that your folks would talk about wishing they were still on the air. Uh, yeah, then came Bronson. <laughs> my dad, was, dad, obs- talked about then came my Bronson dad was obsessed with Then Came Bronson. People don't remember it. Then Came Bronson was a show uh, about, um, it was, um, oh, what's his name? Michael, who, Michael Parks. Michael Parks, just passed mm. away. Michael Parks uh, played a guy who gave up on 
urban a, life. A, a friend of his committed suicide. He lost hope and he needed to reinvent yeah. himself. So he jumped on a motorcycle and traveled across America having adventures. There's a TV movie, which you can actually find. I think it's out from the Warner Archive. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can watch that. It's it's pretty good, actually. Martin Sheen plays uh, the friend before he was famous. Um, and uh, then there was a whole TV show. That TV show is unavailable. Mm-hmm. Um, I could never watch it, but watch the movie. The movie has one of the lines I quoted with my dad. Mm-hmm. Like, when my dad dropped me off for school, we would usually say this. You'd say the opening to then Jim Bronson. Yeah, it was basically like, uh, where are you, you want to do it? Okay. Where, where are you going? Uh, no, where are you going, man? Where are you going, man? No place in particular. Man, I wish it was you. Yeah, well. Hang in there. <laughs> I don't know why it's 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 spoken with such portent. Yeah, like it's so it's such an important moment, even though it's like really just kind of casual mm. non drama. Um, but yeah. Uh, so then came Bronson. What about you? Um, the Soupy Sales Show. Mm-hmm. Now, it wasn't canceled too soon. It was actually kind of a hit show. But my mother referred to the Soupy Sales Show incessantly. <laughs> and, like, it started leaking into, like, my sister and I's, like, in-jokes and references. We never saw the Soupy Sales Show. <laughs> we just know know it from what my mom would say. So yeah. I, I, I wish I had, like, taken the time to watch more Soupy Sales. All right. We got any more letters? Um, yeah. We have uh, several more. Okay. Let's do at least two more. Um, uh, well, I have to finish the one I was on. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought um, there was a... uh, uh, were there any scheduled TV events when you, when you, uh, when your family or you as, and your parents would get together and watch shows for myself, my dad and I would sit down to watch episodes of ER and NYPD blue on Saturdays that he had taped during the week. Nothing like spending a weekend as a 12 year old watching Sipowitz rough up some suspects and then massage his mustache when he was looking, looking annoyed, looking for your next episode, Josh. Uh, our dinner was always at seven thirty, so that we could all sit together and watch Jeopardy. That's, that's us today. Yeah. We would watch Star Trek. Yeah. Star Trek was our go-to during dinner time. And there was a period, there was about like a half a year when I was like between schools and I had to be homeschooled. My mom was a teacher, so uh, I was able to keep up, knock that off. Sorry. Uh, and uh, we would watch As the World Turns every day. <laughs> nice. Uh, and uh, then she would tape it uh, and we would, and when, once I was back at a proper school. Yeah. And then we would watch it in the evening as well. So As the World Turns is a big, as I mentioned before, As the World Turns is a big part of my upbringing. What else? Uh, my mom watched Hunter. Mm. We watched, I watched Hunter with my mom a lot. And I also watched uh, Duke Hazard MD nice. it, when it was in reruns. Uh, we would watch uh, we'd watch Siskel and Ebert every Sunday. Nice. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I think 60 Minutes, but that was more my parents than me. Mm. I really kind of zoned out for it. We, it was, I was young. I our, our house was, they were talking about. Our house was really carefully cordoned off by member. My sister had her shows. I had my shows. My parents had their shows, and we didn't really watch each other's TV that often. Yeah. Like, sometimes we could convince each other, but no, first of all, I was the youngest, so nobody wanted to watch the, you know, Mantis. Bu- buzzsaw superhero adventure, whatever it is yeah. I wanted to see. And um, my sister could convince us to watch Beverly Hills 90210. No, she, not... she was also really into Alien Nation, which you mm. would think would be more my thing, but yeah. Yeah, we really didn't have any, like, none of like, the proper shows. We would never, like, sit down and watch Seinfeld every week or something like that. Mm. It was just sort of. Right. Yeah. Here's a letter from Thomas. Hi, Hello. Thomas. Hello, gentlemen. On your last episode, you had trouble naming one of the comedies on UPN's inaugural schedule. God help me, I know this one because I watched it due to the presence of the divine Liz Vassy. It was called Pigsty. Pigsty! Pigsty, of course! I watched Pigsty. I got a line I actually frequently use from Pigsty. Oh, yeah. Was, there was a, there was a uh, scene where they had a barbecue, and the guy who was responsible for the barbecue brought in a bunch of meat, but it had all expired. That's so how he got it so cheap. And they were just like, are you sure we should eat all this meat? And he was like, ah, fire kills everything. <laughs> and I've been using fire kills everything for like the last 20 25 years. <laughs> the producers of Pigsty would be happy to hear that, I'm sure. 
<laughs> called Pigsty. It was the lead in for Platypus Man. Now yeah. I watched Platypus Man. Platypus Man. Is I kind love of funny. Her, I love Richard Jenny, but yeah, yeah but, it's anyway. a fun with Platypus Man. But yeah, uh, it was about a bunch of mismatched fellas pitching in to rent out a luxury apartment in New York City. Vassie was the sole female lead and aspiring actress who working as the super. My years of TV viewing is dotted with moments of shame like this, <laughs> where I watched something solely because I found the female lead cute. <sighs> The the, pr- the hormonal prison you are put in when you turn 14 is an inescapable hell. <laughs> um, the reason I, I endured another one season wonder, I Married Dora, was because it featured Elizabeth Pena. Yeah, we need to get we need to try to find uh, uh, I Married Dora. That's actually mm. this, it's, um, it's 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 an interesting it's topical now. And I think it only lasted one season. Yeah, so, we'll, yeah. we'll look for it. I'm still pulling for you to to uncover some of the little known series UPN had begot during its ten years existence. They're hard to find. We found like I was able to find like some episodes of Deadly Games, but mm-hmm. I, we, our whole thing is we try to watch all of them. So uh, we're looking. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. UPN was not well curated. <laughs> People were not excited to sort of keep track of uh, what was the, what you, was the one think, with? You think Paramount would do sort of like a big ironic push? It's like, guess what? All of our failed UPN shows are coming to Blu-ray. You know what they should do? Here's the thing: is there's the, there's going to be a new Paramount network. Uh, Spike I, TV is gone. They're replacing it with the Paramount network. And I'm like, a new UPN. Why yeah. not? Like, go nuts. Like, put out all the terrible shit you had. Why not? I'll watch it. Air it at midnight. I don't care. We'll give you free publicity. We're just like, hey, guess what we watched last week on the, on the, the new the Paramount, new Paramount Network. Network? Marker! It's back! <laughs> Yay! Oh, I don't know why I'm so obsessed with Marker. Just the one I can pull really easily. Yeah. Uh, here's uh, one from Cecil. Hello, okay. Cecil. Uh, hey, guys. Would you consider episodes of a TV show that were meant to act as backdoor pilots to be cheating? Uh, for example, an episode of The Fairly Odd Parents was meant to act as a backdoor pilot for a series about the character Crash Nebula. But Sky High came out and Nickelodeon said, your show has a flying school bus in it. We can't have a flying school bus show right after Sky High. Oh, that's too bad. Um, um, I like Sky High, by the way. I think it's an underrated movie. It, um, it, it might be something we'd consider like discussing in like a Patreon video, but it's not like the subject of a proper episode. Honestly, honestly, I'm willing to have some debate about that. If it's well established that it was supposed to be a backdoor pilot, maybe it's something we could do. If it's a backdoor pilot that is simply another episode of a different TV show, however, that doesn't count as a pilot. Well, one thing we have done uh, before is when we were reviewing... We don't consider a backdoor. You know what? You're right because we don't consider a backdoor pilot to be part of the show because we'll review an enti- we've reviewed an entire first season of a show, mm-hmm. and then we also talked about the backdoor pilot as a separate entity. Yeah, like yeah. we did that with uh, David Cassidy, Man Undercover. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but yeah, maybe or, that'd be or worth- when when um, Manimal showed up on Nightman. Yeah, that was a bonus <laughs> thing, and we would and I would have watched the episode of Law and Order SVU with uh, Rex Winters on it, mm-hmm. uh, but I didn't find out about it until like just before when I was doing my research. I'm like, oh shit. Whoops, forgot one. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think that's a whole episode, but you're right. It would be a Patreon special. Mm. be kind of fun. Um, there was a couple of those. I remember there was an episode of Baywatch that was supposed to be like a spinoff about like Baywatch High School, about young lifeguards <laughs> and what they're like when they're in, they're in oh, high school. Baywatch High would be great. That would have been awesome, right? Well, they better, did a thing. Better than Baywatch Nights. Nothing is better <clears throat> than Baywatch Nights. You're right. It, it, it is perhaps the crowning achievement of humanity's time on this earth. So far. Hmm. We We're might surpass that someday. Someday. But Baywatch Nights, that's a high bar to clear. All right. If you want to write in to cancel too soon, again, we take suggestions. You want to give us topics to discuss. You're curious about us as people. Give us an email. Uh, the email is canceled too soon at gmail.com. Remember, it's canceled with one L. That is a real spelling. Yes, it is. When we started the podcast, we did a lot of research, and we determined that canceled with one L was more popular. Lately, it seems to be the other way around, but whatever. 
Um, so that's going on. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes. You can subscribe on Stitcher, a bunch of other places as well, wherever you find us. Subscribe. Leave us a quick review. That really, really helps us a lot. If you can't afford to sign up on Patreon, we understand. Mm. Leave us a quick review. Some stars, a quick sentence on iTunes. Really helps people find the show. Um, but we are on Patreon. Uh, and We do have bonus episodes. This month we're going to be reviewing the TV miniseries Intruders. That's right. Uh, which Whitney was a big fan of in the 90s. <laughs> got a weird like, one. Nine, 92, that one came out. Got a weird one lined up for next month. We we'll, won't reveal it yet. Um, and uh, yeah, and we also have uh, uh, more bonus content there as well, working on uh, setting up more and uh, possibly changing our tier system a bit to give uh, mm-hmm. people more opportunities to sign up and do fun things. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening in. We'll be back next week with our next Patreon curated episode. We gave you a whole bunch of private detective shows to choose from, and you chose The Dresden Files. Detective who is also a wizard. Yeah, based on a popular series of novels. Uh, It stars Paul Blackthorne, who everyone knows from Arrow now. Paul Blackthorne, whose name might be cooler than Harry Dresden. (laughs) (laughs) find that kind of ironic. Uh, Anyways, I think it's our first sci-fi original series. Is it? It I think it might be. Yeah. Uh, There's a lot of failed shows on sci-fi. From the sci-fi network. We'll get to Painkiller Jane at some point as well. Um, So, um, yeah. We got that coming up next week. Uh, stick around. Uh, you can also listen to us every week on the critically acclaimed podcast over on the Schmoes No iTunes feed. That's where they have all of their Schmoes related podcasts. This week we're reviewing a whole bunch of new movies, uh, including 12 Strong, uh, Forever My Girl, uh, Mary and the Witch's Flower, and we're also uh, reviewing the one of the worst movies ever made, Orca. <laughs> selected by the listeners of that podcast. Absolutely. So uh, thank you everybody for listening. We're on Twitter. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. That's Whitney with no H and Seibold with an E-I. And uh, we're also uh, on Twitter at CancelledCast if you want updates on the show. Um, and I think that's about it. So uh, thank you very much. And that's a wrap. We will see you next season. Thank you.